Hello and welcome to a special edition of the MASHcast. I'm Jarrett and I'm here along with Jason Worsitz. Hello there. And Rob Allegretti. Hello. And uh, I know you guys are used to hearing Rob Hill, but unfortunately he is not going to be with us on this one. He's not gone. He's going to be back, but just not on this one. Uh, This special edition is for PAX East 2011, kind of a a wrap-up show um, of things we saw, uh, the different games, interesting booths, overall thoughts, you know, basically, you know, what you missed if you didn't go to PAX East. Um, This was a large PAX East as compared to last year. Last year only had 52,290 people, which is actually still a decent amount. You know, when I throw parties, I usually go for around 60,000, but, you know, 52,000 is fine. Uh, but this year's official attendance was 69,500 people. So you're talking about a difference of over 17,000 people, which it, it was still an awesome show. It wasn't overcrowded, anything like that. And that's because of the change in venue. They went from the Heinz to the Boston Convention Center. So um, we're just going to get right into it. Uh, what did you think about the show, Jason? Well, uh, this is my first ever video game convention I've ever gone to. And, of course, can correspond with my first PAX East. Uh, not gonna lie, felt a bit overwhelmed at first, kind of like a lost kid. But uh, after a while, when I, you know, got my bearings, I had a fantastic time. Pretty much everyone I ran to was super friendly, super nice, super talkative. I ran to a bunch of web personalities myself, and uh, I was really impressed with more than anything else with the indie titles that we saw on the floor. Like I kind of knew to expect with you know the bigger releases, like you know Gears Three was there. And a couple other big titles, but really it was the small stuff like uh, being able to play some games, which we'll get into, of course. But those games are just independent developers, and uh, I just had a great time. Okay, cool. How about you, Rob? What'd you think? Well, since I was at PAX last year, uh, comparatively, uh, I think the change of venue was uh, great for the show, uh, getting more people out. Um, I did notice, and I heard some complaints around about the uh, security presence at the show. It was a little Gestapo, a little in-your-face. Um, but uh, I think everybody still had a good time, um, uh, especially the uh, the amount of floor space that was available. Uh, you know, we didn't even get into the, the tabletop side of things, um, but uh, it looks like the change of venue was uh, very good for growth on that side of things as well, uh, which kind of reflects uh, Penny Arcade's varied interests, so I think it works. Yeah, um, I, I personally, I didn't have too much problem with security. However, I do have a story of one security officer that was being a total d-bag, uh, a total just total douchebag. Basically, what happened on the end of Saturday's show, uh, you know, it was around six o'clock. Uh, you know how they had the escalators that were like close to the exhibition hall, right? All right, so basically, it it couldn't have been it could have been longer than six o five. It was it was even before six oh five. So between six and six oh five, uh, you know, I'm walking to the escalators. Um, the escalators shut down. I'm like, okay, I just gotta gotta walk up. But before I go up there, I look up and the door's open and there's a security guard at the glass and she's looking down, and so she sees me and a bunch of other people coming up, and she closes the gate before we get up there. Like, like really? And like, she sees this like a large crowd of people there, and she's like still there, and uh, she sees it, and like she opens the gate a little bit, and then closes it again. Like, ah, you know, fuck you, kind of thing. I'm like, well, are you serious? <laughs> like, wow. But yeah, that security guard was a total, total douchebag. Whether that, I didn't have any problems myself. I don't know. I didn't see anybody getting hassled either. But you know, well, besides by the um, you know, the fire department walking around sometimes saying, stand behind the line, or we'll shut this down. 
Yeah, there was. I just saw a lot of that, and then there was things like the the tweets about Cutman getting shut down, which is just kind of unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, don't, I wasn't there. Uh, you know, Ray and John, they were there, um, and they said that he was just playing music like over in the corner. He wasn't really disturbing anything, and he gets he gets kicked out. Like, like really? So yeah, that sucks. No, sorry, Cutman. We feel for you. We support you. <laughs> but uh I uh I enjoyed this year's show. Uh there was a larger presence from some of the larger publishers like EA, Valve, um Sony came out. Well, SOCOM 4 came out for Sony. Also they had Child of of Eden there, uh which was a really nice booth. Um The Old Republic th- that was uh, set up pretty pretty nicely. Uh, and the thing, like, I was a little afraid that since so many people, because they were expecting between 60,000 and 80,000, and I was afraid that with so many people there, it was going to be packed and crowded and just miserable, but no, like, it was great, like, lots of room to breathe, barely walked into other people, there was definitely more room to get into panels, um, even though the line queues for the panels were a bit better, so overall, it was a, I think it was a great move. Uh, from the Heinz to um, the Boston Convention Center, I even appreciate the food court because you know at the Heinz you could kind of, you could walk outside and I mean it was connected to a mall you could just get food, uh, and then what they they had the food court you know inside the Boston Convention Center and yeah you paid nine dollars for a cheeseburger but it was just really convenient to be there. But I know some people didn't really like the food, so yeah, sorry. Well, you know what can I say? <laughs> um, any uh, any interesting booths you guys saw? Do you guys want to talk about the Gunner booth? Yes, let's talk about the Gunner booth. <laughs> let's talk about the Gunner booth. <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, it, there wasn't anything I guess wrong with the Gunner booth per se, but it's kind of like why? <laughs> but what about the eye strain? What about your dear eye strain? <laughs> I think the, I mean, the gunner glasses, I, uh, I think the gunner glasses are kind of cool, and yes, it will reduce eye strain simply because it's a tint, it's, you know, it's it, the glasses are tinted and things like that, so yeah, that, that, that's cool and all. Is it worth $70? I don't necessarily think so, but I don't like, you know, if you talk to some of their people down there, they're like, oh yeah, it helps you aim better, because there's less eye strain, and I disagree, Cause I remember last year, at PAX, uh, playing in the, um, yeah, you know, at the open land, and there were definitely guys in there with gunners on, and there was definitely me still headshotting them and not them not being able to kill me. So, <laughs> I don't think it necessarily helps their aim. Do you know what really helps against eye strain? Well lit rooms. Yes, <laughs> this is this is true. I just you know what else? Your, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what else helps is uh, take a break every now and then. Yes, <laughs> this 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 also helps, uh, but I guess the gunners are for the hardcore. Um, actually, and that's one thing I did want to touch on those ads. Like, I guess the back of the gunner booth had some some ads, and you saw people like uh, Bob, um, some kid from the MLG, don't know his name. Uh, I think the only person who I knew who was on those ads was Adam Sessler. I really don't care that Adam Sessler wears gunners. Um, also, I thought B.O.B., like, he's a rapper. He has nothing to do with video games. Why do I care that he's wearing gunners? There was a hot Asian chick wearing gunners in one of the posters, but I don't know who she was. 
Which whoever she is, she's hardcore. So keep that in mind. Yes, <laughs> she's more hardcore than I am. She's putting me you to know, shame. Call call me a hater, but they just seem like the classic accessory for wannabes and weekend warriors that want to be more serious than they'll ever be. Yes, <laughs> that would I would I would say that is a, a true statement. But uh, yeah, the gunner booth. I don't know why they're there. Um, I mean, the glasses look good. They have the tinted shades. You know, but really don't think it's worth 75, uh, 70 bucks for gaming. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, did, uh, did you guys actually try them? Like, were there demo sunglasses? I kept just walking past the booth and trying not to roll my eyes at the ads. I, uh, I tried them on last year. And I'm like, the guy was talking to me. He's like, oh, yeah, you can get, you know, you get them on sale for 60 bucks today. I'm just like, oh, that's cool, but I don't really think I'm going to spend that money. You know, uh, I have I have a lamp at my desk, so I'm actually okay. <laughs> you know? I want a light bulb. Yes. I wonder if I can get prescription gunners. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, one thing I do have to say about Gunner, they all they they always provide nice eye candy. So good for them. They. And he's not talking about the glasses. Yes, <laughs> I'm not talking about the glasses. So. Uh, unfortunately, I was too busy to get a picture with their booth, babes. But I think I'll survive. Um, well, besides the the Gunner booth, something I actually did find interesting was the Games booth, which is actually G A E M S. Uh, they have a product called the G one fifty five, and it's built for portable gaming, but for your console. So you could take your Xbox three hundred and sixty or your PS three Slim and put it into the G one fifty five. And what happens is there is a built-in 15-inch, 15.5-inch LED HD screen with built-in stereo speakers, or you can use headphones if you want to. And this is just built for, and it's a case too, so you just kind of close it and pick it up and take it with you. So, you know, you can game just about anywhere where you can get a power outlet. And that's, I guess, it's kind of cool. I mean, me personally, I don't need it. I have a PSP. (laughs) <laughs> and a DS, so you know if I need portable gaming, I'll use that. But I mean, if you really like your 360 that much, you know, you just take it from room to room, or you know, on vacation, or if you're a parent, if you're a parent, it's probably great to take with you on vacation, maybe road trips, stuff like that. Uh, or if you're gonna visit your underprivileged friends that don't have consoles, <laughs> yes, you could do that. Like, like me. Yes. Well, I wouldn't say that you're underprivileged. You just don't have any interest in buying a console. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't be throwing that word around, Rob. There's really so under, I, there's underprivileged uh, people who really don't have consoles. I didn't get to see the thing. How did it How did it look and sound? It sounded... Well, actually, they had their... They also sell headphones, I believe. Um, I believe that, that, that those were their headphones, but uh, everybody had the headphones on, which, of course, the headphones are going to sound good. Um, the stereo speakers, they didn't look like they had a subwoofer or anything, so I'm imagining they're not spectacular, but they probably get the job done. Uh, the actual LED screen was extremely crisp, and one thing that was really cool that... Uh, I don't know if they did it on purpose or it was just the design, was the fact that the LED screen was like back behind how can i put it it was back behind or i guess inside the case so basically if you're playing in a sunny area it will be the sun we blocked off from the screen so you really don't need to worry about getting glare and things like that so that was cool you know and uh, i mean the 15 inch screen at that distance will definitely do the job you know it's not really made for you to push back and 
you know, you know, push back and, you know, sit on the couch while it's 10 feet in front of you. It's really made for you to be in front of it like a laptop. Gotcha. Yeah, so, I mean, it can also double as a heater if you uh, if you have an old Xbox 360 because those things just produce so much heat. Which is why I would never buy this. Well, no, the, uh, the, the actual venting portion of it is exposed, so you don't have to worry about it, you know, crapping out on you. I'm not sure if the listeners know or a lot of people know, but one of the reasons why a lot of Xbox 360s crap out is because people will slide it to the wall of their entertainment center or something like that or put stuff against the vents so the Xbox 360 can't really breathe and it gets too hot, overheats, and you get your famous red rings of death. Uh, so I think they they took that into consideration and they actually, you know, it is open, so... I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, it's not for everybody, um, but I can definitely see where it can come in handy. You know, I don't think it's a gimmick product, personally. Uh, besides that, a couple of game booths. Uh, ah, we'll talk about the NVIDIA booth. And the NVIDIA booth, if you went to PAX last year, the NVIDIA booth is pretty much the same. Um, has a 3D tag and you know stuff like that. But however, they had a huge screen playing crisis in 3d did you guys see that <laughs> i sat there and watched it for at least 20 minutes okay um any idea how big that screen is i want to say 70 but it looked larger i think 70 is a good estimate it was it's like a 70 inch screen playing crisis in 3d uh if i had to guess i would say crisis was running at about 30 frames per second which is on par with what you get on a console okay um it looked phenomenal it looked excellent. Like, it, it was unbelievable. And the, the frame rate was steady at 30 frames per second in 3D. Uh, and I just thought that was really impressive because that shows you whatever card it was on, which I'm assuming it was a 59, was it, was it, it was a 590, which I think they announced it over the weekend. They, I know they were supposed to have some press conference, but I wasn't able to get to that. Um, but uh, if they were running dual 590s for that, that's incredible because, first of all, Crisis, the game itself looks, the Crisis 2 looks incredible. And then it was on a 70-inch screen, which is not easy to render because uh, it was being rendered by PC and not on console. So a 70-inch screen, not easy to render. And then on top of that, it's 3D. So whatever, however hard Crisis is to, to render by itself on a 70-inch screen, now it's double because of the 3D. So I just thought that was really impressive. Uh, Rob, did you even see Did you see the screen? I didn't, know. Uh, well, I guess you lose packs then. I fail. Yes. <laughs> well, me and Jason win. That, that's all that really matters at this point. But yes. uh, yeah, that was nice. The NVIDIA booth, booth was nice. Um, the Child of Eden booth, I liked it. What did you guys think of that? It... <sighs> I must say I don't like the game. I did like what I saw. I mean, I'm a huge fan of uh, the team uh, that makes Res and Luminescent. Oh, we're not talking Res. about the game. Not yet. Oh, to the booth. We're talking okay. about the booth. <laughs> I like the booth. You mean that giant spectacle? Yes. I thought it was awesome. Like, it yeah. was. I thought the booth was awesome. Like, it really showed what the game is about, which I guess was the whole point. But, you know, we had the the screen, the giant screen that showed the beautiful game that it is. Um even though I guess a lot of the question I had the most from people who I guess hadn't played it yet was what's up with the Asian chick popping out of the flower? Asian flower lady. <laughs> yeah, that is the question that people kept asking me. I'm like, I don't know. It's just she she did it. But the game is awesome. You know, it looks awesome. 
uh, very, very, like, it just, it looked very, um, euphoric, basically, and that's what, that's what it appears that they're really going for, uh, with it, but I thought that it was the best looking booth, and, uh, the frag dolls were there, and I have to say, last year, with the frag dolls at the Sands of Time booth, I found that a little annoying, because I'm like, okay, I'm trying to play the game, I don't need you to tell me how to play it. But uh, at this one, and with this, actually, this time, they did not explain to you how to play the game. They just let you play the game and explain a little bit about it before you start it. Uh, I guess because it's a, it's a simpler game to play. Um, but the energy that they actually brought to the booth was, was kind of nice. Because like, the line was long. The demo itself was about, what, 10 to 15 minutes. So every, And they only had three stations to play at. You had the one station, which everybody was seeing what you're doing. They had the two other stations on the side. And... You know, the line, the, the wait would be pretty long, but they were there, and I'm not going to say they were entertaining us, but, you know, they they brought a nice energy to the booth. So I thought that that was pretty cool. Um, Rob, what did you think about that booth? The booth was hard to miss, uh, you know, and it, you could pull you, it could pull you in from, from every direction, you know, with the views of uh, uh, people playing the game. I think that was the most interesting part. I almost didn't even really notice the frag dolls. Um, since we're not talking about the game yet, I won't. I won't give my thoughts on that, but it's it's hard to not let that you know shade your opinion of the booth when when that's sort of front and center on those big screens, um, because I don't know those kind of games uh, are not for me. I find them mildly seizure inducing, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's cool. Um, oh yeah, the Duke Nukem booth. It was ah, so many things wrong there. And we're not gonna, like once again. We're not going to talk about the game yet. We're going to talk about the game last. Be honest with you. But the booth itself, there was a couple. First, the things I noticed are wrong with it. There's there's two main points. First of all, the girls, the booth babes, they look so unhappy. I mean, they look so unhappy. Unless you were taking the picture in the king's chair, then they smiled. But other than that, like when they were just standing there, they were like, meh. <laughs> that is the face that they made. It was uncomfortable just to be around. Just being in that general facility, I felt, felt kind of bad for them. Yeah, like, they they did not want to be there. Uh, and also, the promo movie they kept on playing, maybe that was the problem. Because, you know, it was playing Invaders Must Die. But the problem with the promo movie is that the promo movie was only about, what, 30, maybe 45 seconds? At least. So, you even standing in line, it was getting very annoying to hear Invaders Must Die. I like that song too, but I was tired by the third time I heard it in like a minute and a half. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. That was. That might have been the biggest problem, simply because it might have upset the booth babes. So, and I wonder if they really knew who they were dressed like, because the booth babes were dressed like. If you if you watch the Duke Nukem, I guess movie that they have on YouTube, uh, or Duke Nukem Forever movie. The the two chicks at the end, like, you know, when they zoom away from the screen and he's playing the game on his TV and the two chicks are, like, giving him head, uh, that's who the booth babes are dressed as. So I'm like, I don't even know if they knew who they were really, <laughs> who they were really dressed as in that case. but Or maybe they did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe they did. That was part of the problem. But either way, I think the Duke Nukem booth was, yeah, that, it, it, one thing is, it's one thing to have a bad design on your booth. It's another thing to make your booth actually annoying, you know? And then to add on to the fact of the actual game, which we're going to get into later. I like the chandelier. Yes, the chandelier was nice. Yes. I'm glad we're all in agreement. 
Yeah, so Rob, do you agree that the chandelier was nice? Yes, I would love to have it in my home. I'll take a picture of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so is there anything else that you guys like really saw at PAX? Like any cosplay or you know, anything interesting? No. <laughs> like, <you're just> like, <laughs> no, no, not really. Just, no. <laughs> well, there were costumes. Yeah, there were nice costumes. Um, there was a couple of good ones, actually. Uh, I saw female Shepard from uh, Mass Effect 2. I saw female Hawk from Dragon Age 2. And I think we all saw the engineer. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about her in a minute. <laughs> oh, and did we all saw the dude in the Chun Li outfit? Yes. Oh, man, that was. That's something. He gets, that... gets points for balls, I think. Yeah. I don't... <laughs> yeah. No? No? yeah, he gets points. No, no, he gets points. Like, he definitely drew a lot of attention to himself. Um, he, I think he purposely left his legs that hairy. <laughs> it was just very. Uh, it was kind of disturbing, but you know what's funny? Uh, when we were waiting, waiting in line for that panel, I actually won because I said the best thing I've seen at PAX East was the guy dressed as Chun Li with the ha- with the hairy legs, and they uh, and I won because of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know that that's that's actually something good. But um, uh, besides the the actual costumes, I thought one of the best areas to be was the dance central area. Oh yes. Oh, that was so entertaining. Like. You know, a lot of there were actually some people who got up there and did a really good job. Like they looked actually pretty, you know, pretty good doing what they were doing. But some people, oh man! And every time I heard Benny Benassi satisfaction, yes. if, if I was in the vicinity, I would rush to the connect area. I would rush to the connect stand because I'm like, I gotta see somebody else perform this because every time somebody went to perform that, it was hilarious. It was it was so funny. That was probably my favorite one to watch, um, except the engineer. She was my absolute favorite one to watch. And if anybody went to PAX, you really I'm pretty sure you know who, who I'm talking about. The girl that was dressed as the hot engineer. One of my favorite parts of PAX. I don't think you have to explain who it is. If they went to PAX and you say the engineer, doesn't matter how many engines there were. Everyone knows the exact engineer you were talking about right now. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, she did. <laughs> not only was she hot, you know, she was the, she was dressed as a hot engineer. She did the connect, uh, the you know, the dance central, and she picked uh, Christina Milian "Dip It Low," which is a pretty sexy song to get anyway. And then the dance central dances for it were really <laughs> nice. Like I was like, uh... actually, when she started doing that, I took a look around. Oh, there had to be at least thirty people recording her. That there that video is gonna show up on YouTube several times. <laughs> several times. There were a lot of you recording her. It was it was awesome. And if she ever listens to this and you're single, email me. Twitter me. Something. I will pro- even if you hear this like, I don't know, six months from now, I'll probably still be single. So yeah, just go ahead and do that. Now we can move on. Now that my message is my, my message is sent. Your sole reason for this podcast today? Yes, exactly. My sole reason for this podcast. All right. Are you good with moving on, Rob? Yeah, I think uh, we've said all there is to say about Ms. Engineer. Yes. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, one of the big things that was there, which was the 3DS. Uh, and Jason, you got a chance to play with the 3DS. So what did you think about it? 
Uh, I did. I did. In fact, uh, I'll be doing a few podcast listeners. I'll be doing a review for it hands on later on this month when it finally gets released. But uh, we rushed out onto the floor. The first thing I did was I got to the Capcom booth. I picked me up one of the Akami plushies and then sat down and messed around the 3DS. In particular, I played with uh, Resident Evil 3DS and I played with Street Fighter 4 3DS. Um, first thing to say is that the 3D. A lot of people get the impression that's probably going to pop out at you, but it's more like looking into a window. It's not bad 3D by any, by any stretch of imagination, but it might not be as impressive as one might think. It looks nice, though. Um, first thing I do is I play Resident Evil, and for those who played Resident Evil 4, um, Resident Evil 4 3DS basically has you playing Mercenaries Mode. And in that, you play either one of the two stages from Resident Evil 4 or Resident Evil 5, and you basically play through either a village or the, uh, the town for the second part, or Resident Evil 5, the second level. And you do basic stuff, you know, it's like a time attack mode, you kill as many villagers as you can, make things explode, try to survive as long as you can. It looked good. I mean, in action, the 3D worked pretty well. It looked kind of like, you know, everybody had death to them, like, uh, the gear character has death, you know, the characters are fighting against, they have their substance to them. Exploding barrels, important stuff kind of pops out a little bit. It was also pretty comfortable to play. Uh, the analog stick actually had a really good feel to it. The D-pad, while a little bit lower than I would like, didn't feel at all awkward. Though I will say that the 3DS uh, controls for Resident Evil weren't exactly enjoyable. Um, it doesn't control the way you think it would. Because, you know, you think the, the triggers on the sides, like, you know, hold down L1 to uh, to aim and hold hit the R button to shoot. Not quite. It's a little bit like the old-fashioned way, hold one button to aim and then hit a face button to shoot, but... I digress. Now, Street Fighter actually played really, really well. Uh, the character performed fantastically, and they had a great mode in the bottom of the screen, which you can actually touch that if you're having problems doing some of the supers, you can press to do them on the fly. And the 3D looked fantastic. Um, there were two modes available, one which is basically over the shoulder, which has a 3D popping out a bit more, but I kind of just prefer the 2D one myself. But uh, on first like first glance, it's a it, system feels great in your hands. The 3D works, so... Remains to be seen how the launch title games are, though. Right. We, I think we, we talked about the 3DS on, well, actually on two previous podcasts. And I don't know. I got, I, um, I didn't get a chance to play one. I got a chance to, I, I was watching somebody play one. <laughs> and I'm just, just thinking, like, yeah, I still don't think, uh, I still don't think this is for me. It's, it's nothing, nothing that they've showed so far has really made me want to get one. I'm still on the NGP slash PSP2 train. And they've said, they've talked less about that than the actual 3DS. Well, for my for my stance from the few minutes I play with the 3DS, my basic first, you know, my just off-the-cuff response is that if, you know, you're not totally on top of the 3D idea, it's not going to win you over at first glance. It's really the games are going to make for and if they manage something creative with the 3D, and they manage something creative with the, um, the better graphical capabilities of the system. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll make a. It might make a bigger impact if Nintendo stopped lagging behind an actual, I guess, graphical technology. Because this is still, I mean, it's still, it's like what, 120. Let's say 120 bit graphics, because it's like the same graphical style of a, of a PS2. And you got Sony coming out with the with the NGP that's going to be as powerful as a PS3 and the Xbox 360. Plus, have a whole bunch of additional features. I think if they could had something that was that powerful in graphics, and then could also do 3D, that will be impressive and make me want to look twice at it. And yes, I know that graphics do not make the game, but you know what? It helps. <laughs> but uh, 
I guess I can't say too much because Nintendo is the undisputed king of handheld. And they've always had, in my opinion, like, I guess an inferior actual handheld system. Like their handheld system wasn't inferior, but the titles is really what, what pulled them through. But, you know, times are changing. So I guess, well, we'll see. Well, I have my own kind of arguments for that, for those remarks, but I'm not going to get into that right now. This is about PAX, not 3DS. Oh, okay. Jason's like, I'll slap you around later with some facts. No, no, no. We'll just see how it comes out and just see how the articles go and, you know, play from there. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's actually get into the games. You know, the games that we saw at PAX. And we're not going to talk about every game, but we're definitely going to talk about a bunch of games. And these are the games that we really thought were notice, uh, notable. Uh, so, uh, let's start with Bastion. Um, I know, uh, Jason, you did not get a chance to play, but Rob, you did get a chance to play. Yeah, I really, uh, you know, I saw, actually, uh, got to see the developers, uh, first the night before at, uh, Scott and Chris's, uh, talk show, and then, um, yeah, so I went and checked them out the next day, and, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it has sort of an old school, like, uh, PlayStation 1 kind of vibe um with the isometric view and the uh sort of action rpg kind of controls and gameplay um but you can definitely see the influence of uh you know you get some modern effects and weather effects and that kind of thing uh, but what really sets um bastion apart is the narration um because the uh the game has sort of a continuously running uh, narrator voiceover uh, following the story uh, and I actually I really enjoyed that I thought it was a cool way to kind of uh, put a spin on uh, a retro looking game and kind of draw you into it and uh, you know make you actually care about the story uh, it also helps that the guy that they got to do the voiceover um, is pretty fantastic and if I could afford it I would have him come around and narrate my life um, <laughs> as, I, as I go about my day you know the game that is... Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got some coffee. <laughs> the coffee was a little cold, so that was a problem. <laughs> yeah, actually, the narration, really, it was one of my favorite parts of the game. And usually, when you say something like, oh yeah, the narration is the best part, that kind of takes away from the gameplay, but it doesn't in this case. It's just that that's how cool the narration was. And that's a slippery slope. Because there are other games that do have narration, and it's just like, I wish this person would shut up. Like and the Bard's Tale? Yes. <laughs> I, I, really, I, I really liked it, and it wasn't annoying at all. It was just a really good way to, to tell the story. Uh, another thing about Bastion that I really liked... Well, first of all, the guy in front of me... Uh, that was in front of me in line. He did not finish the demo. I didn't even know it was just like a time demo. I thought it was just you know, you play until you're done, until you're, you're ready to go, uh, like Outland was, which I'll get into that later. But uh, it wasn't. So he never finished the demo. So I just kind of picked it up and started you know playing. And the fact that I did not need to go through a tutorial to get the controls down, how easy the controls were to pick up. And learn like literally in less than a minute, I was playing like a pro, you know, and that's really something that's impressive because uh, usually that's what you need tutorials for to teach you. So but they did a good job at making the controls very, uh, very easy for anybody to pick up and play. Uh, the gameplay is, I mean, it is a, you know, like um, an action RPG, 
but you don't get bored playing like you know you literally you do need to move around uh you need to actually you know engage and dodge and hit your opponents you know stuff like that and they, you know the the combination of of enemies they put together usually makes your fights very interesting like you know you'll have this one ghost looking thing coming around trying to hit you with a hammer so you know he's melee while also trying to fend off uh let's say two ranged characters and you know you just can't shoot the ranged enemies uh in this case uh, these i don't know what the enemies were called but the actual you know you talk, you, you know what i'm talking about the blue enemies that kind of like paintballs and then every time yeah. you shoot them they just get smaller Right, like, you know, that made the fight interesting because you know I'm like I gotta prioritize enemies and I gotta dodge at the right time and you know it was just it was just really cool it was really cool to to play and I, I really enjoyed that game and I'm really looking forward to it coming out it's a uh, supposed to come around around summertime I can definitely be see it being a summer of arcade title definitely yeah a couple questions came to mind for me that i asked the developers which was one is the content uh, random or semi-randomly generated which it's not um but it kind of gives you that that diablo-esque kind of feeling with the view um and another is whether there would be multiplayer which is not currently now the game is great as it is um but I think they're definitely thinking in those directions, and it would be really great to see that and maybe some some future titles or sequels if it's successful. Yes, and I really do think that it is going to be successful. It is a, a great game, complete package, sound, gameplay. Even the look of it is, is really nice, so looking forward to that. Uh, let's talk about Slam Bolt Scrappers. And I, me and Jason played that actually together. Um... We got destroyed. We got decimated by people we were playing against. So much so that I I had to go back the next day and play it again just to try to redeem myself so I wouldn't cry to sleep that night. I don't know what happened. It and happened yet, so fast. Yes, it happened so fast. Like we, it was, it was terrible. Like we, we, us playing together was terrible. But fortunately, I was able to go back and get my pride back. So. so. It, that's all good, but um, Slam Bolt Scrappers. If if you guys haven't heard of it, uh, it's you know Firehose Games, and uh, it's very chaotic. It's uh, it, you know, it takes uh, a bit from Tetris, but instead of just trying to make blocks, uh, you know, putting blocks together for them to clear, you actually put blocks together, and when you make a four by four square or a three by three square, or uh, or uh, even two by two square, I think is the smallest one you can do. Um, you know, when you make these squares, depending on the color, it turns into a specific weapon. And then, uh, you know, that weapon shoots over to the other tower and, you know, breaks it up. And then when the other tower is destroyed, that's, that's, that's how you win. And then you can also add additional blocks to a weapon to make it larger. It's a very chaotic game because it's you and four and, and sorry, three other players. And we were playing teams, uh, you know, naturally, because me and Jason were on the same team. And... Not only do you have to, you have to like these little monsters fly down, and you have to punch the monsters and kill them and take the and turn. They, they turn into blocks depending on their their color, and then you place the blocks. So now you have not only do you have to get the monsters, who some of them they drop little bombs to break up your buildings. Some actually attack you, you know, and they they're not always so easy to destroy. On top of that, you have the other players who can come and attack you at the same time, and they can come and attack you and take your blocks. 
you know they can jack you for your blocks and when they actually do that when they knock you out there's a time period that it takes for you to actually come back um so you can get back in the game so it's it's very chaotic because you got you have you have to put the blocks down like you know you can't just throw the block down you actually have to place it like it's tetris and then you have to worry about watch your back worrying about enemies coming down uh you know the enemies or let's say the cpu enemies coming down and then you have the live players at, at the same time it's like it's a lot to do but it's a really fun game like if me and a bunch of friends got together and played this game we would uh you know we'd have a good time we'd probably also uh lose a couple friends but I just thought it was a I thought it's it's a really cool game. Actually, we featured it on the site a couple times already. You know, with updates and we had an initial interview with uh, Eaton Gilnert. So it, it's uh, it's definitely it was everything I expected. Uh, what did you think about it, Jason? It it's kind of a strange thing to say, but it kind of felt like to me like the power stone of puzzle games. Just like there's so much junk going on at the same time that you have no idea what's happened until it's already happened to you. Um, I really like that game from first glance, but I'm not gonna lie. I was confused for like five minutes afterwards. I was walking around the days like someone had just like like hit my car and I wasn't sure what just happened. Um, one thing I didn't really expect in that game when I first approached it, because I be honest with you, I haven't really uh, know much about Slambo except for where on the site and haven't really tried it myself before now, is that you actually do control your own personal like avatar or character on the screen. So you're not just like, you know, rotating blocks using your buttons. You're picking up blocks. You're moving blocks. You're going to their side of the screen. You're taking their junk and putting it back in your pile. And as you said, it's a lot to keep track of. But it's the sort of game that if you have, you know, friends that are coming over and you have four controllers, there aren't enough games these days which support up to four players and are actually enjoyable or actually utilize those four players the right way. And I think Slamble is just one of those games where you can invite people over to your house and just have a great time with. And I'm really looking forward to picking up on PSN this Tuesday. Yes, that is right. It does come out this Tuesday. It is a little... It's not really noob-friendly. Like no, you, it's not. You, <laughs> it's more trial by fire. Like, if you never played it, you're going to hop in. And once you play one or two games, you'll know what, it, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll, you know what it's about. Um, I actually did play it last year, too, at last year's PAX. And they've added a lot. They've added new characters. They've added new accessories to the characters. Uh, they've added new weapons. Like, that black cannon is devastating. Devastating. It's the only weapon in the game that doesn't automatically fire. Like, you have to take a block, put it into the cannon, cannon turns, boom, blows. Like, it, it can really change the side of a game if you can get it built. But I thought Sl Slam Bolt was good. I'm, I, am, I am looking forward to its release this Tuesday. And I had a chance to talk to Eaton, and, you know, they're, they're an indie dev. Uh, they've been putting a lot of time into this, and they're really happy, and they're, you know, they're they're expecting some good things, and I, I do hope the best for them. Uh, so, uh, moving on, though, let's, uh, let's talk about Star Wars The Old Republic. That, I, I, I didn't ch play the game. I got a chance to watch the intro movie, which looked really cool. But, Rob, you actually got a chance to play it. Talk to me about it. I did, and I will say that, uh, you know, from a cinematic, from a story perspective, I think that's where I was most impressed uh, with The Old Republic. Um, 
I, I've tried and dipped my feet in a lot of MMOs, and I, I do have to say that after playing through one of the encounters or uh, flashpoints, as they like to call them, uh, uh, to kind of tie them into the story a little better, I didn't feel anything new or groundbreaking in the gameplay mechanics. Um, you saw the same basic roles. Uh, you know, the the encounter we played through, they were they put us in. Um, uh, five-person groups, which is basically a tank, a melee off-tank, a healer, and a long-range uh, DPS. Um, the graphics were pretty smooth. It had sort of a uh, sort of that watercolory look to the terrain and some of the the ground effects and that kind of thing. Uh, the flashpoint or encounter that we uh, ran through was uh, an outdoor encounter, so you had some of that. There was a boss at the end. The mechanic was pretty familiar. Uh, it was a a uh, boss with his pet and you know to do it successfully you needed to get him down at roughly the same time or the other one would enrage uh, which is will feel pretty familiar to anyone that's played WoW or any any of the more recent MMOs um, but yeah the, the story side of it if you're a Star Wars fan and you're into the the, the universe and you want to know more about uh, you know the canon, as it were, in that that old Republic setting. I think it'll be really compelling for those people. Um, where I was most impressed is, is they've brought in a new mechanic to the uh, uh, the the getting quests side of thing, if you will. So when you start the flashpoint, all the members of your party participate uh, in a dialogue um, with with the quest giver, as it were. Um, and basically what happens is uh, each person in the uh, party has their choice of dialogue responses and at each point in the conversation everyone is uh, constantly rolling uh, a random role and whoever wins their dialogue choice um, is what comes out in the actual conversation um, and what I was told though I didn't we didn't really get a chance to see this uh, in in the gameplay uh, what I was told is that that, that can have uh, subtle uh, effects on the game itself, possibly certain buffs or the path you take through a dungeon, or you may have alternate bosses or, or uh, alternate goals uh, based on that. Yeah, sounds cool. I know I can't even speak too much to it because I, I really don't play, I haven't played MMOs in a while now. Like, uh, the last MMO I really played was was Aeon and I barely played that and I played Guild Wars a few years before that and WoW before that or while I was playing that at the same time and uh, you know I just it, I didn't I didn't see anything from what I saw of it I didn't see anything that would bring somebody who doesn't play MMOs to it you know like would you agree like there's really no if unless you're like a Star Wars fan or MMO fan there's really no no reason to to, to you know go to it yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely not a wow killer, but I think that um, anyone that's really into the Star Wars universe, uh, it's going to be uh, much more enjoyable than the disappointment that was Galaxies. Yeah, that was bad. But actually, who? Because SOE is this is not SOE. Like, who was actually the publisher for this, or who's managing it? I should say. Uh, that's a good question. I didn't. Uh... That wasn't really thrown about uh, as far as who's handling the community and account side of things. Hmm. Jason, do you know by any chance? Not offhand. Hmm. Well, we'll find out, and then we'll have to we'll see what you know what's going on with that. I know it's a it's a joint you know venture between Bioware and Lucas Arts, but I guess I guess it's just them or one of the two um, actually managing the whole thing. So, all right. Uh, I'm pretty sure they'll manage it better than SOE did. I really can't even think of a 
one game that SOE has managed well. Vanguard. Oh wait, no. Oh yeah, I re- actually I I played Vanguard, but it was so so short. This that I totally forgot until you just said it now that I played Vanguard. I literally do not even remember that game. I never got a chance. I was like, I'm gonna try this out someday, and that someday was two months later when they fired everybody at that poor company. I remember hearing this news stories about how like uh, <laughs> the team was being locked out. Everybody was like super upset, and everything just kind of fell apart real quick. No, they totally fell off my radar. Like, yeah. I didn't even. <laughs> I totally forgot that that game even existed. I'm totally surprised you're talking about Vanguard at all. Yes. <laughs> you brought it up. Yeah, that's true. Yes, it's true. All right, so let's uh, let's move on. Uh, Skullgirls. 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 Indeed. What a what a big surprise that was. I mean, I saw the video online for Skullgirls about a week before PAX. And I'm just kind of like, okay, uh, anime fight, anime, anime fighting style game with you know, chicks in short skirts, big chests. Okay, <laughs> like I, was, I really didn't think too much about it. But man, when I actually played the game and I got a chance to talk to the actual developer, that game is really it's like it's really intensive. Like not only is it complex in terms of the fighting and everything that you can do. But the controls to do everything are actually really simple. But yet, I mean, so anybody can pick it up. You can not really know how to to play a fighting game, and the controls still make sense, and they're e- it's easy to do the combos and the special moves and things like that. But at the same time, the way you can put moves together and you know, and, and do the specials and the combinations and the tagging in and out and. You know that that it makes the game really complex, and I do like the. There's a couple of things that I like in particular. Uh, one, the fact that you can choose to use either one or two players, and the difference is, so you can actually, if you know, when you, if you're playing a friend or something like that, you can your friend can choose two players to fight with, or two characters, I should say, and you can only choose one if you want to. And the difference is going to be that if you choose two players. That each or each character, sorry, each character's health will be lower and they'll be weaker. And naturally, if you if you pick just the one character, the character will be stronger and have more health. So I thought that was cool. And the fact that you know one of the advantages of picking two characters is that you have an assist, and you can have you can make the character assist with any move, any of the moves that that character has, they can assist with. So I thought that was that was cool. Oh, Jason, you played it, and you actually you play fighting games more than I do. So what did you think about it? I talked to the uh, lead programmer and designer of the game, Mike Zymont, who apparently is a tournament expert and champion. And uh, he sat down, talked to me, and he's like, "Well, how much of fighting games do you know?" And I told him like I used to dabble. I've never been good at them, but they're a personal love of mine. I love keeping up with them and just learning about how all the mechanics work. And as we explained things to me, he was constantly just relating to. Well, you know, like, we chose six buttons because I felt that from Street Fighter, this is like this, and, oh, well, I'm having this buff window like this because I felt like this game, but never at once did I feel like he was just taking elements from other games. It, it felt like he was improving it, and maybe just because he sold to me the right way, but he made me a believer in that game, even after I'd been playing it, like, three or four times and loving every second of it. And I'll be honest with you, when I first played the game, the art style, really not my type, you know, chesty ladies, there's constant panty shots. You know, but it's it's all good nature. In fact, the uh, the artist behind Scott Pilgrim made the character designs for the game. But the big thing with that is just he explained to me 
how he programmed the game's engine to basically counter all the per- things that he personally found to be annoying in fun games that he loves. For example, uh, the buffer times, the input times for doing a move like a fireball is a lot more generous than other games. The engine itself is built so that it, it tries to understand what you're doing. It tries to understand you know, what you're trying to attempt, even if you're not good at the motions. So for other games like Street Fighter, where you're trying to do like a 360 motion to a grab, kind of like Zangief, you'd always end up jumping. I know I would. He showed me how to do it. I didn't jump once. The game knows when you start to do that motion and it prevents you from jumping because it's trying to figure that, hey, this is the move you're trying to do. And it's just a bunch of little stuff that comes together. Like, and the game starts to be like these sort of infinity loops, if you know fighting games, where three or four moves perfectly timed can keep you getting knocked back into a corner where you can't get out, you can't escape. In this game, he has to set up that if you repeat simple commands over and over, the game notices it. And you'll be able to just simply, as the person being, you know, oppressed, being knocked into that corner, hit a button, knock the person back, give yourself a bit of breathing room, and get back into the fight. But at the same time, if it's a more complex chain that's using a bunch of different moves, assists, things like that, you're not going to be able to break out unless you're really good at it. So the game basically stops people who normally just spam or just, you know, button mash, but know what they're doing a little bit, and gives new players some breathing room. It's, I don't have enough nice things to say about that game. I walked past that booth. You know, there's a bit of a line going on. It wasn't really a big line like you saw for games like Orcs Must Die. But there's a little bit of interest. And I stopped by, and actually it was uh, Rob Hill and I. We were about to walk out of the convention on the second night. And they're closing down the hall. And I looked at our schoolgirls like, hey, do you want to get that shot real quick? We walked up. We turned on the game, looked at it. You know, art design, like, okay. By the end of the first match we had, I knew that this would be the sort of game that I'm going to keep my eye on. And when I spoke to the designer the next day during an interview, and he explained to me all the combos and the systems and how he designed things, I knew that's one of those games I'm going to tell everybody I know that enjoys fighting games. Everybody I know that it just is looking for the sort of game that they can play with friends and have a great time because it's so ridiculous, so over the top. But at the same time, it feels like something that you could possibly see at Evo if it picks up enough, enough sort of momentum. Yeah, it was definitely... Definitely, uh, definitely caught me by surprise. And one thing that I think is definitely worth mentioning before we move on about that game, uh, it's a it's a it's a two D fighting game, but it's actually built in a three D engine. Uh, and the reason that's important is because of the lighting. Um, you know, you can play Marvel vs. Capcom three or even Street Fighter, and the light how light or dark the levels are don't change really how the characters look. But in this game, if you go to a level that is darker the characters will actually be kind of shadowy unless they're under a light. Uh, and even if there's a light, your character, the light will kind of reflect on your character and they'll, you know, they'll have that shade on them. And even when you hit, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but when you hit somebody, that the, the, the hit, the place where you hit them actually lights up. Oh, I noticed that, definitely. Oh, yeah, so I just thought that was really cool. Um, really good showing for that game. And I think a lot of people passed it by uh, that really, it was really worth paying attention to. And as you can tell, it made a huge impression on me. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we're moving on. Uh, next game that I'm going to talk about Snapshot, which neither of you guys played, right? Unfortunately so. I saw it, and I watched it for a while, but I didn't get a chance to sit down and try it. I thought Snapshot was very interesting. Um, basically, the way it works is like you're, you're it's a puzzle game. You're a robot. You take pictures. Um so, you know, you, you, know you, you take pictures of a specific object, right? Let's say it's a box. You know, you take pictures of the box, and 
you then you, you have captured that box. So now when you paste that picture back up, you can put that box in place to help you do other things. And, you know, it starts real simple with like, you know, take a box and put it here or take this platform and put it there. But then you start to run into things called no photo zones where you have to figure out how to get the object out of the no photo zone so you can take it. Uh, you also run into, you know, because you, you I'm sorry, you can only hold three pictures at the same time. So, you know, you run into areas where you have to use, you know, a certain amount of objects. And part of the puzzle is figuring out how to use, you know, how to get each object to where you need it to go uh, while only being able to capture three at a time. So that was cool. Um, what else was there? Oh, yes, moving objects. When you capture an object that's moving, when you release it, it stays in motion. So that adds a whole another dynamic to it. There's uh, the final stage in the demo was actually uh, this. There was this cannon shooting out these these spiky snowball-looking things, and you had to you know capture them and then try to use them to maybe even knock down the cannon. It was that part was very difficult. Like the game, like you know, they they start you off easy, and then it definitely gets more difficult. It's definitely one to look out for for people who like puzzle games. So it was, it was very nice. And even the music was, you know, it was nice and it's not annoying, which is very important to me in a puzzle game. Because if the music is bad or annoying, I'm not going to play this puzzle game because it's going to make me more frustrated than I probably already will be um, from playing, you know, playing, you know, not being able to solve a puzzle or something. But I just thought it was very nice. Um, it was part of the Boston Indie Showcase, which, you know, helped it. I guess that thing that helped more people come over to it, but it wasn't really crowded. One thing I will say about their booth, the most comfortable chairs at the entire convention. If you didn't sit in one of those chairs, you guys missed out. I'm sorry for that. Really am. Actually, yo, so, like, I forget the one the one chair that I was sitting in. I forget where it came from. But the other two chairs came from vans. <laughs> it, was, it was actually pretty interesting. They did look like car seats. I thought so. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they, they were. So, yeah, that was... Uh, that was really cool. Uh, so, but moving on though, Kingdoms of Emmeler Reckoning. Did I say that correctly? I believe so. Yeah, that's how Kurt Schilling says it. That's all that matters. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, you you went and checked that out. What'd you think? Yeah, I went to the panel. I got uh, to see the the gameplay footage and the introduction. Now, I was pretty ignorant about the title when I went to it. I'll admit. Um, I knew that uh, Kurt Schilling was somebody uh, had something to do with baseball. I did not know that he's actually a passionate MMO player and that he founded the studio. Uh, he was not just a uh, celebrity personality attached to it to draw attention, but this is actually his baby since he's retired. He's invested quite a bit uh, into, into founding 38 Studios. Their goal is uh, to assemble a dream team. So they've got Todd McFarlane for visuals. Um, they have uh, R.A. Salvatore uh, for story and crafting the world. Uh, and they have uh, Ken Ralston is the gentleman's name, uh, who worked on uh, Morrowind and Oblivion uh, for game design. And they're creating a whole new world and intellectual property. So Reckoning is an um, action RPG. Um, blends elements, open world elements from the Elder Scrolls series uh, with combat elements uh, almost reminiscent of God of War um, with a uh, sort of a tree style uh, level progression to the RPG aspect. Um, visually, the game was uh, really impressive. Uh, the uh, 
the combat was very action oriented uh, the weapons the effects uh, there were combos involved all of that very tightly knit with the rpg system so as you gained skills um, your combat became more interesting and more varied there were also uh, a character class system that uh, lets you hybridize uh, which is always uh, good in an rpg to give you more variety in the characters that you can create. Uh, some RPGs are not forgiving if you break off of the beaten path for certain roles. Uh, this one actually rewards you because there are hybrid character classes that you can achieve by uh, bringing elements from the different trees together. Uh, so all in all, from what I saw, uh, I think they have a hit. Uh, the only uh, drawback for me uh, was there is a strong uh, hammer space element to the uh, the weapon storage, and they were almost proud of it that you could uh, be mid combo with a sword and then pull out, hit another button, and then pull a hammer out of nowhere and continue the combo. And I know it's a fantasy game, and there's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief involved, but that side of it is almost silly and distracting. I felt, um, but that may just be a personal preference. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll I, I, be honest, I've never even heard of it before you started talking about it, you know, at the show, but it sounds interesting. I'll be, I guess I'll be looking out for it from now on. Robbie, I mean, not Rob, sorry, Jason, you've, have, you've heard anything about that game before? I heard it announced a year or so ago, I believe, and I remember hearing uh, rumors and whispers about it. I was trying to see during the show, didn't get a chance, but uh, I don't know. Again, just have to see how it goes. It's got an interesting team behind it. We'll have to see what comes of it. Yeah. I should mention too that uh, there also there's a there's an MMO uh, that's part of the development by the same studio uh, that's set in the same world, but I think something like a thousand years in the future. So they really have a grand vision. Um, I just hope it pays off for them. All right, cool. Uh, what did you guys think of Brink? Well, you actually, Rob, you didn't play because you don't believe in console shooters. Yeah, it's it's sort of a philosophical stance. They just, you know, when you come from the PC world and, you know, your first shooting games are Doom, you know, and you're, you know, played, played Half-Life in my college years and that kind of thing. So when you put a controller in my hand and, and FPS on the screen, it just does not compute for me. I know I'm kind of in a minority, but I'm a purist like that. I think he just angered a lot of people. <laughs> I don't think he cares. <laughs> no. Fair enough. No. All right, so, um, uh, well, Jason, I know you played it. You actually waited in line two hours to play it. Two hours and uh, I think maybe 30 minutes? I'll tell you what, I got kind of sick of watching the Star Wars trailer by the end. We were sitting there watching the same four videos loop over, but I digress. As far as it being a console game, I really don't think it's a console game. I know it's putting me forward to the 360 and PS3, and they had it playable on PlayStation 3 there, but... For people who played Enemy Territory Quake Wars, which, you know, same team, Splash Damage, who did this, it feels, I want to say identical, but it basically feels like that, but put on smaller maps. The level they have for the demo was this sort of long corridor, and the way that game works out is that you have an ongoing story in both multiplayer and single player. When you play multiplayer, at least what they're showing us, you're playing through what were essentially uh, single player missions, but once I fulfilled the role of the opposition one side fulfill the role of the rebels who are trying to, in this version of the demo, escort a prisoner of safety. And it was kind of class-based, you know, you had medics, you had, you know, assault characters that can give out ammo and things like that. But it, it the interface was just so muddied with just so much stuff on the HUD. You know, they were like, here's, here, capture this point and do this and do that. And 
it was kind of crowded, to be honest with you. Also, a very, very dark level they chose to play. I know you played it, Jared. Did you have any problems seeing where you're going? Because I ran into a wall a couple of times. Uh, no, that's because I'm awesome. Okay, fine. Well, apparently I have night blindness as far as uh, games go, but I'll say as much. I liked it, but it's just one of those games that seems like the longer you sit down and play it and the more you understand it, the easier it'll get. But for me, at first glance, it just felt like small-scale Quake Wars minus vehicles, and I don't know how to feel about that. Uh, I mean, I, I well, first of all, if anybody has listened to any of the podcasts, I usually find one way or another to talk about how PC is greater than console. <laughs> but um, So I definitely am not a console shooter fan, okay? Uh, I'm not at, like Rob where I don't believe in it, but still, I, I am not a console shooter fan. Um, when I played Brink, I actually enjoyed it. Uh, I do, the HUD definitely, there's a lot of stuff on the HUD. You're, you're, a lot, you're, you're right. However, I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. A lot of people are getting used to the the newer games having minimal HUDs, and that's more of a of a single player thing. Like I, I really in single player, I think minimal HUDs are excellent. They help you engage better. Um, you know, for example, Dead Space, that probably best best minimal HUD I've ever seen. Definitely. However, for multiplayer, don't really think it matters that much. Like you're not really getting engaged and and brought in. You know. You know, you're not being, you're not really delving into this world when you're playing multiplayer. And all the information they had on the screen was very pertinent. Uh, I think I thought it was very easy. The controls were very easy, and we talked before. I do not like the PS3 controller; like it cramps my hands because my hands are big. But uh, I, it felt comfortable. And even like you know, switching objectives, switching weapons, reloading, sliding, doing melees. It, it was just very smooth overall. Um, I like the fact that on the HUD or on the screen itself, it does point you in the direction of your objective, you know, because you can't, the, the maps have, they're, they're not simple maps and you can get lost, uh, or turned around. So it was really good that they put that up there on the HUD. I, I didn't have a problem with the game at all. Um, then again, I didn't have to wait for two hours to play it. <laughs> so That, that could have been part of it for me, maybe. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I wasn't really expecting, I wasn't expecting, I didn't, I wasn't expecting anything great. You know, I'm like, okay, it's another console shooter. Um, the customization options, very nice, very highly, highly customizable. But for me, when I usually get to a customization screen, I just pick whatever. Except for the weapon loadout, like the weapon loadout, I'll take care of. But in terms of looks, I don't care. <laughs> I just, I just want to play a game because I'm not looking at my character. You know, so it doesn't really make a difference. I just want to kind of go in there and blow somebody's face off. But uh, I did enjoy Brink. I mean, I think it'll, it'll. I think it'll. I think it'll be all right. I think it'll be popular. Um, I'm not sure if it's coming out for PC though. Is it coming out for PC or is it console oh, only? It totally is. Um, and by the way, don't forget. Like, even though I do have some qualms with interface, I did think it was a good game. It's just it. It's tough to put this sort of experience of, you know, class-based multiplayer on consoles. Like, Bad Company 2 has done a great job, but there is just so much going on in any level in Brink from what I've seen, especially in the demo, that the sort of information they need to communicate does need to be shown on screen at times. And, yeah, it was e very easy to find things, but I think it's the sort of game that I just might find myself picking up for PC. Yeah, I, I would, uh, I'll probably pick it up for PC as well. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have much <laughs> that much else to say about it until it comes out. Like, you know, I want to, I'll, I'll probably buy it and I'll play it, and if it's good, I'll continue to play it. If it's bad, then you know, I won't play it, and that is that. Uh, let's let's talk about Child of Eden, or I should say, I'll talk about Child of Eden since I know you two didn't play it. Um, we touched on it a bit earlier. You know how euphoric it looked. Um, I I I have to say I had a good time playing it. I am not a Connect fan, as I've made, you know, clear before. However, this use of the Connect is actually pretty good. Very simple controls. You use your left hand to do rapid fire. And for those who don't know what Child of Eden actually is, Child of Eden is basically an on-rail shooter. But instead of just having enemies pop out at you, it's very um, the music is is a. I'm not gonna say it's an integral part of the gameplay. But it plays a part in the experience because as you're shooting, um, you know, different sounds happen. Like the sound of your rapid fire going out and the sound of you hitting different objects makes different tones that go along with the music. And it just makes things more enjoyable. But like I was saying, the left hand is for rapid fire. The right hand is for the right hand is for locking on and the well you can also put both hands up and it'll do like a bomb uh and that's pretty much it but basically you know you have to go through and destroy all the enemies and depending on who, what enemies you're fighting you may want to go rapid fire versus locking on um you know you run across a couple bosses and then at the on the demo if you got to the end of the demo without dying because you can die in this game you can't run out of energy and so if you get to the end of the of, into the demo you get a nice Asian lady that pops out of a flower, which I'm all about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's really simple. It's a really really nice game, and if you like that electronica music or that sound, I think you really enjoy this game. Because part of like for me, the music was a big part and how cool it sounded along with the gameplay. Only problem I had was the fact that my hands sometimes got in the way. Of, of me seeing the screen but that was because of how the screen actually because the screen was pointed down I, I didn't get a chance to get onto the big screen that they had so but I know you guys passed by it what would you think I'm still baffled by giant Asian flower lady yeah I feel like there was too much weird going on there I'm, yeah. I'm with you I'm with you on the music but visually it's very busy there's a lot of abstract shapes and watching the people play it I just saw a lot of glassy-eyed slack jawness with va- vague stabbing motions at the screen. That's that's what I was going on. <laughs> I didn't. It wasn't that enticing for me. Like I mentioned earlier, I mean I'm a fan of the team that does Res Luminous, and you know, accordingly, Child of Eden. I'm looking forward to it, but that game is incredibly psychotropic. It just seems like you need certain substances to really kind of you know feel the music. I guess I want to say, but uh, maybe that's my problem. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't in the right state of mind. Exactly. Well, I was just high on life, so I guess that's all I really needed because I enjoyed it. Jared just says no, and that's what matters the most. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't I mean, pressure. I like on-rail shooters anyway, so maybe that that helped. But, I mean, it, it, the thing I liked, it had a balance. Like, they didn't focus everything on the visuals. They didn't focus everything on the music, and they didn't focus everything on the gameplay. The visuals are great, the gameplay was great, and the music was great. You know, it was like, you know, you, 
there were parts I should say that you know I failed like I I, I, had, I wasn't able to kill all the enemies they got past me um, I got hit a few times actually quite a few times because I, I almost died I would say I got down to about 35% health at one point because of some bombs that came my way that I failed to shoot uh, one thing I I don't know maybe they'll have something on, upon release but when I would put both hands on the screen or you know try to you know sometimes when I was switching hands the reticule would sometimes freak out because it wouldn't know what to do so it's like there's nothing you could do with both hands on the screen at the same time I mean it would be cool if you can use rapid fire and lock on at the same time because there's there are definitely a lot of on rail shooters where you can be you can shoot and lock on at the same time but maybe it just it wasn't enough going on or the game like the game doesn't throw that many enemies at you at the same time uh to make that viable so now like like you said the game looks euphoric i mean at least from where we were standing um did you find that it was particularly super challenging or do you think it was really well built to the pacing of being something kind of you know made for relaxation i guess you could say uh it wasn't super challenging that's for sure Okay. Uh, it was. Uh, it had its challenges. It keeps you engaged. It's like okay, you actually. I do have to actually try to play the game, but it is relaxing. You know, like, I definitely see myself. You know, after you know going to the gym or something like that, like turning it on, you know, playing for a little bit. You know, just kind of relax. So you're going to say that this is going to be a 2011's version of Flower, now with giant Asian lady included. Uh, a little bit better than Flower. <laughs> <laughs> in terms okay. of gameplay. Right. Uh, and I look forward to seeing more Asian ladies pop out of flowers. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I have no response for that. Yes. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's, let's get a move on. Uh, let's talk about Orcs Must Die. I know you played that, Jason. What did you think? I liked it. I mean, at its core, it's basically a tower defense game. I mean, a well-presented one. It looks great, sounds great. But the fact is you control the character in a third person and you can kind of move around the battlefield and, you know, you can place down traps in between rounds and take out the orcs. And the idea, like all tower defense games, is don't let them get to the other side of the map. Simple as that. But there's a little bit extra, like, franticness to it because, you know, things can fly overhead. And since you don't have that sort of, you know, usual top-down looking over the entire battlefield at once sort of perspective you have in other tower defense games, since you're such in the thick of it, it's tough to keep track of everything. Um, one thing I've noticed particularly that I liked is in between each round, they actually give you a heat map. So they'll show in the level where like the enemies went because you know you have the orcs going through the areas and you have certain traps dispatching them while you're trying to kill certain ones. And the in-between round map will show you, hey, look, these traps here took out a lot of guys, but you're doing a lot of the grunt work in this like small corridor. So in between rounds, you can choose to sell traps you might have once, you know, use the currency you've accrued over the course of the, the match to lay down extra traps. It, it's a nice little touch. It does a lot. But it definitely made a good first impression. Yeah, I did really enjoy it. I did... Uh, besides the traps and things that you can use, um, I did like the fact that they you know, they made the game in a, such a way where it, even at, w with your character, you still have to engage the enemy and be skillful. Because your... Well, let's take the bow, for example. Um, the crossbow, you can't just rapid fire it and be okay uh unless the enemies are really close to you because the, as you fire it your accuracy becomes con you constantly fire your accuracy um gets worse you know you'll see the reticle push out and then you're just kind of shooting shooting into the air so you still have to you know you really can't just spam you know 
and you, if you if you don't set your traps properly, the enemies will overwhelm you. Uh, if you do set your traps properly, it'll definitely cut down the amount of enemies that you have to take on on your own. But you know you just can't focus on enemies from one place. Like you have to you know watch out for the aerial ones. You have to watch out. For the enemies that come from different gates and things like that. So I definitely enjoyed it and, and thought it was cool and I'm, I am looking forward to it. Uh, talk to the dev. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like there's going to be any online co-op right now. Uh, or a co-op at all for right now. They said they have to see, you know, they want to see how the game does and if it does well, you know, they might be able to add in a DLC or later on, which I thought was cool. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a single-player experience, but I think you'll still have fun. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but that's not the only 3D tower defense game that's coming out. Trenched also is a 3D tower defense game, which is not, it's still is a bit different. Well, it is definitely different from Orcs Must Die, because Orcs, Orcs Must Die takes place in, you know, fortresses. And you have different levels and steps and, you know, stuff like that. You have different levels to each fortress. But entrenched, uh, at least from the demo that I, I played, um, it's outside, you know, because the the trenches are, you know, they're big walking robots. <laughs> so they, it's outside, and the objective is to protect your base. Uh, and you know, your trenches have guns on them, of course, and uh, there are a lot of customization options. Like you can you can choose what type of legs you want. You can choose what type of weapons you want. You choose the actual. Uh, uh, the actual body of the trench, and that determines how many slots you have for weapons, and of course the legs determine how quickly you move, and depending on the body type, how quickly you know also determine how quickly you move and how responsive you are. Um, the cool thing about you know you can choose what uh, on the fly you can choose what type of traps to put down, and uh, yeah, I mean I just I had a I had a really good time playing it. It was really fun. Uh, there are only, I think, well, there may be more than 15 waves, but at least the the level that we played had 15 waves, and then, you know, you fight the big boss at the end, uh, and, you know, I, I do like the fact that they let you know, hey, you're this close from finishing this level, you know, and it was just a, it was just a fun to play, game to play, like, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of mech games, of mech type games, and it definitely, definitely doesn't feel cheesy, definitely uh feels very polished it looks great and it's fun to play even with the the the, the traps down or not traps sorry but the you know the the towers down per se you know it, it was still like pretty challenging to take out all the enemies uh you can upgrade traps which i thought was really cool uh you know with the with the money that you receive well, it's not money but it's actually tvs for those who know, don't know, it's uh, all of your enemies are made up of TVs, and when you break them apart, when you kill the enemies, you can collect their TVs and upgrade your, your weapons. So it was, just a, it was just a cool game to play. Um, Jason, you did not get a chance to play that, right? I was sadly stuck behind a line of guys trying to, you know, stand on my toes to actually see over them. I definitely got a Mech Warrior vibe or like a Mech Assault vibe from what I was watching, though. Um, yeah, I guess you can, you'll get that vibe, but it's definitely not, not a mech, not a mech warrior. Definitely it's, it's, it's own game. Uh, one thing I actually, one thing that I talked to Dev, when I, when I got a chance to talk to the developer, he, uh, explained you can even customize your character. And I'm like, well, why is that important when you're going to be in the trench? He was like, it's not necessarily important to the, 
you know, to the actual game play, but depending on what type of clothes you wear determines what type of social gestures you do online. And oh. yeah, it was, it was actually pretty cool because, you know, online gesturing is, is kind of a it's kind of a big deal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a cool game and I'm, I am looking forward to it. Was that game uh, all serious? Because I noticed the Double Fine team, and you know, headed by Tim Schafer and all them, they were known for having a lot of wit and humor to their games. But at least from where I was standing, you know, in the back of the line, it looked kind of, you know, deeply serious. You know, it's fighting giant space aliens. They're all neon, crazy looking, walking in a giant walking tank trench mech thing. I can't really quite explain it. But was there any humor really in the story? What you saw or what? You're fighting enemies. That are made out of televisions. You tell me. I did me. not notice that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Question fully answered. Yes, there is uh, there is humor there. It, it is not a serious game, um, or I shouldn't say a super serious game. In my so, defense, that line was crazy long. Yeah. Okay. Well, I got in with no problem, but maybe that's just because I'm awesome. So. Yeah, it was because you're tall. They can see you through the crowd. I'm tiny. <laughs> that helps. Uh, yes. Um, so let's move on. Let's talk about L.A. Noir, which was just a. It, you didn't get a chance to play it, but it was a movie. So you saw that, right, Jason? Yep. Woke up bright, early, bushy tailed in the morning on Saturday. Went into the media portion. Stood in line. Got it immediately. Uh, it was just a, It wasn't a hands-on. Just a presentation. You know, guy talking over video of the game itself. But they showed just kind of a chunk of one of the first cases you go through. Initial impressions. I like the way it looks. I like what it's promising, but it's just too early to really make any sort of real solid decision. I mean, the game's obviously not out yet. But one thing I've kind of noticed is that I get sort of, I guess, a heavy rain vibe to it because the game is m- more focused on, you know, answering questions the right way, detective work, than it is on action or combat. For those who don't know about L.A. Noir, you basically play a detective in 1947, Los Angeles, hence the L.A. And you go through a series of cases, there's five in the full game. Each one will take about half an hour to an hour to finish, according to the dev- developers. And basically, it's like playing a very super serious uh, version of CSI. Not that CSI isn't serious, but they get pretty crazy with that stuff. What you do is you go over crime scenes, you'll investigate evidence, you'll inspect... Uh, in the demo they showed, I'm not getting to it because it's pretty brutal and pretty graphic, but you basically inspect the, uh, the victim of a recent killing and you kind of look around and say, okay, I see blunt force trauma on the head and then you stitch together clues. But one of the big things in that game is when you get the evidence together, the more evidence you get is the more dialogue options you get when talking to possible suspects or leads. So if you're really observant and you notice on the ground, let's say a cigarette with a lipstick on it, you'll say, okay, well, this is definitely a woman's lipstick on the cigarette. And we talk to a woman later on, it might be something like, oh, well, you know, I'm also the crime scene. Maybe you'll like see certain like size footprints in, in the sand if you're in the crime scene. And then notice later on the perpetrator you're looking at has a different shoe size. Just small things. It's a game that, you know, if you comb the area, you pay attention, you'll generally do better in the long run. You're an experience as you go along. It has a lot of promise, I'll say that much. Okay. A quick question now. How exactly do you know that's a woman's lipstick? Like, how do we know it wasn't a dude? Well, I'm not here to judge. But, uh... I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> oh, okay. One thing that's weird about the game, though, is that how serious the subject matter is. All the acting is incredibly exaggerated. I mean, there's this big lip-syncing technology going on when people talk. It, I want to say it looks realistic, but it definitely looks like the, the voices are fading to the mouse much more than most games would. And it's very deep, serious subject matter, but 
it's very pulpy and the, the way characters act at least from the way i felt like you know you go to the break at like a local house you talk to the neighbor and she's all like i didn't know and she gets all crying and weepy but like super just all of a sudden the detective seems to be have Kratos syndrome where he's just angry all the time if you talk to any sort of suspect he's immediately down their throats it's good but it has like a 1950s like pulp detective feel to it which might turn off some people that kind of want the game to be you know super stark serious yeah okay well, I mean, you're talking about Rockstar. They really... Well, I shouldn't say that they don't make serious games because even Red Dead was... Oh, actually, no, Red Dead wasn't even serious. It's tongue-in-cheek. Uh, you're talking about um, L.A. Noir being tongue-in-cheek, not Red Anything. Dead anything Rockstar does. Like, even look at Grand Theft Auto where, you know, you play serious gangster stuff, but you're surrounded by an absurd cast of eccentric characters that are just caricatures of certain ideas and you know, aspects of the American life. So that's sort of writing. Well, I think what no with GTA you definitely have way more absurd characters. Red Dead Redemption, you had you know oh, a couple comedic uh, comedic characters, but that was that was really it. Like you, Red Dead was definitely more serious. Like Red Dead could be a movie. Well, yeah, Red Dead switched gears. That's not a comedy, <laughs> you know. Yeah, regular def- definitely uh switched gears near the very not the very end of the game, but the second half. Like it definitely buckled down and got a lot more serious in the first half we ran into the crazy characters like you know here's the alcoholic and here's the medicine man that's full of himself and you get the idea yeah so i guess you know rockstar can do a game that's actually pretty it's i shouldn't say pretty serious i don't even want to say you know say it's pretty serious because people think you know when we say serious it's like oh this is you know serious subject matter with no joking you know rockstar can make a game that's more like a, a movie as opposed to a GTA. Or I should say Rockstar can make a, ga- a game, like, you know, a Western game that's like a Western with, a, with maybe a comedic character too, as opposed to a GTA, which I would compare to like a Smoking Aces, you know, right. in terms of a movie. And then, you know, now you have L.A. Noir. So we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. All right. So what about uh, Dragon's Nest? You, you Both you and Rob played Dragon's Nest, correct? I definitely did. Rob played it. Yeah, I did. Uh, I will say, I don't have a lot to say about it. I mean, it's free to play. I kind of like the mechanic of not having to target things and actually aim your attacks. That's the only thing that really stood out for me. Uh, Other than that, uh, character design was exaggerated, kind of cartoony, and it didn't do much for me, I have to say. Actually, I enjoyed it. Again, free to play, like, you know, it's got a bit of... It's a term that a lot of people kind of, you know, they roll their eyes at, but if you played Dragon Nest, you played Vindictus, in my opinion, at least the way I feel, they kind of feel like descendants of Monster Hunter in the fact that it's an action RPG, you're supposed to work in a group, it's more based on skill because you can do evasive maneuvers, you basically go through areas, you fight monsters, chain together combos, I'll say as much. I had a lot of fun with it, I'm definitely to see how it goes, how what it looks like when it's finally released. But there's definitely a core set of people that enjoy free-to-play games that don't enjoy that sort of game. But there's a lot of people that are, I guess you would call the hardcore traditional gamers who will look at it and go, well, there's not much of substance here. Um, one thing I did like about it, though, is that, at least with Vindictus, as you went through areas, you basically uh, accrued combo points by chaining together attacks. You get a higher score. If you beat a level, beat a mission, you, at the very end, you get a grade, ranging from letter D to triple S. And the higher upgrades you get, you get you know, different loot and different experience and different stuff for doing it. So there's sort of an incentive for getting really good at the game and going through areas and doing speed runs and stuff. And that could be kind of cool when it comes out. Okay. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to play it. You know, it, Every time I walked past it, it was packed. So I, I assumed that it was good. Some people I've, I've saw go back more than once. So 
Uh, it's free to play, so I, I imagine I'll try it out sometime. You know, bored on a Saturday. Eh, I mean, I'll install it. Even I play a little bit of Vindictus in my own spare time, and actually, I enjoy the games that Nexon makes with Vindictus and accordingly this, because the two, honestly, they're kind of the same game overall, except, you know, Dragon Nest is more anime-inspired Eastern RPG, while Vindictus is all mature, bloody, you know, rip guys in half sort of gameplay, but they really are the same sort of action RPG-based gameplay, kind of just distilled down into bite-sized chunks. Oh, so basically, Vindictus is just, uh, it's the same thing, but... Different, it's different. manly dragon nest. Manly dragon nest. Well, okay. Well. Yeah. I guess you can choose one or play both. <laughs> pretty much. Like... It, it, it's pretty much like one one for one crowd, one for the other crowd. Well, okay, that's cool. Uh, moving on though to Outland. I really like Outland, and you, I noticed. You, you, neither of you got it. Actually, got a chance to play it, but I played it for a good half hour. Because you were hogging the machine, I was watching you. <laughs> hey, they didn't tell. I, here's the, okay, folks. Here's what happened. <laughs> like I, I'm playing uh, Outland, and they actually have they put the you know you put the headset on, and um, actually there, there was a producer from Ubisoft there. He puts the headset on and he talks to you as you play the game. I didn't. I thought the game was just a demo. I did not know that this was the full game. And me and him were kind of talking back and forth and playing the game. And I didn't even notice there was a line behind me. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to play the game and uh, get to the end, but there is no ending. But basically, for those who haven't heard of Outland, it is, uh, it's not the same team that did Ikaruga. But they, the game was inspired by Ikaruga because one of the big pieces of the game, and by the way, it's a, it's a platformer. It's a, a 2D platformer. Um, one of the big things about the game are the light and dark aspects. You, know, you have a light power, you have a dark power, and you can switch in between it. And just like in Ikaruga, when you use the light power, um, the light, like things that are light uh, powered, or the enemies that are light powered don't hurt you. Actually, physical attacks still hurt you on on light enemies but like when they shoot like the energy balls and stuff like that at you if you're using light power it won't hurt you uh in order to defeat an enemy you have to be the the opposite power so if it's a light enemy you have to use the dark power if it's a dark enemy you have to use the light power uh so you know all that was cool um but the one of the cool things was the fact that you know as you're progressing through you know the 2d levels you just like ikaruga you need to switch back and forth on the fly between the light and the dark to get through some of these areas. And in some of the areas, like, you'll have, you know, light light beams shooting from one side or one angle while dark light beams are shooting from another angle. And you have to... It's kind of like a puzzle because you kind of have to... Well, anybody who's played an Ikaruga boss fight, that's what a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the levels are like where you kind of have to, you know, be the right color at the right time and then switch at the right time to make sure that you don't die. Um... That's cool and all, but the fact that the gameplay was so smooth, like the animations were really, really smooth, and the reason that's important is because when you have smooth animations, typically that means the controls aren't as responsive because of all the additional frames it takes to animate, but the controls were extremely responsive, which is very important for a game like this where you have to jump on the fly and you know be very fast reactive and still be able to switch to your light and dark powers um in terms of weapons you had a sword and 
you know, you can do regular attacks, or you can even juggle enemies. As you go, you know, progress through the game, you'll get more and more powers, you know, more and more light and dark powers. Uh, they do definitely tease you in the beginning of the game, because in the beginning of the game, you have a dream sequence where... Uh, well, actually, I'll give a little backstory. Uh, the, and the story of the game is, you know, every, I think it's like 3,000 years or something like that, the two sisters who are, well, you know, light and dark, they created everything. They escape from this prison and try to destroy everything. Why, I'm not 100% sure, but I guess you'll find out. And, uh, you know, it's your job, you know, as the chosen one, to stop them. Well, you know, of course, 3,000 years prior, there was another chosen one, and basically, you go through his dream sequence as him, so you get to see all of your powers. You can see everything that you're able to do. And, um, yeah, like, you know, once you come out of dream sequence, now you're like, oh, I'm back to this guy. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, still, it's still a pretty cool game. Another thing that I did like is the fact that, you know how in a platformer, you'll hit a box or break a box, and different items will pop out. Well, there is a currency in this game to upgrade. You know, you, you collect these things that will help you upgrade. Uh, but sometimes, a, like, a heart or health will just pop out. In most cases, if your health is full, that's kind of a loss for you. But in this case, any health that pops out, you can smash it and take the money. So I thought that was really cool. Like, I really am looking forward to the game. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get a chance to play it myself, of course. But uh, I was watching you play, and the game just looks absolutely gorgeous. Like... I, there's there aren't enough words. Like if if you're near a computer, would listen to this. Go online, watch a trailer for Outlands. It's it's just beautiful. It's easily one of the best looking games I've seen at conference this year, and certainly one that I'm going to keep my eye on as well. Yeah, actually, that little section that Outland was in that's a little bit of awesome overload because you have Outland and like directly next to it you have Bastion. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was watching Outland while I was waiting for Bastion, and I have to agree what what I saw of it. I really like the aesthetic. Uh, I really like this smoothness and the that that Ninja Gaiden vibe with the wall jumping kind of faster platform. So I'm looking forward to that too. Yeah. One thing that I do want to interject with real quick is next to um, Outland was Beyond Good and Evil, which came out recently, which is a fantastic version of a fantastic game. But next to that was you guys probably didn't play it, but uh, did you see Might and Magic Clash of Fates? No. They're finally seeing it for PSN. It's it, it's a very interesting puzzle slash strategy game. This was for DS two years ago. Um, critically acclaimed, but no one bought it. No one really played it. But they're finally porting it to the PSN soon with high definition. And anyone who enjoys puzzle games would do well to play that game or keep an eye on it because I was absolutely hooked to that for that game for like an entire like two weeks till I finally finished it when that first came out. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I've never heard of it. I've never played it, but eh. exactly hidden gem. All right. Okay. Well, let's uh let's move on to Deus Ex. I was supposed to go to that panel, and I was stuck on the floor when I got the notification from the from the conventionist app. I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to you know I'm just gonna skip it. But Rob, you saw it, so what'd you think? I did, and I have to say, I was uh, I was pretty impressed. I'm looking forward to it. I was a fan, a big fan of the first game. I did not even hate Invisible War as much as most people seem to do. Um, but I like what the uh, developers had to say. Uh, they showed the uh, the trailer that had already been released on, on on YouTube and such, and then we had a gameplay demo. Um, 
you know, all of the elements essential to Deus Ex are there, and they were very open about acknowledging that they wanted to make sure that they cover everything that people loved about the first game and avoid the mistakes that people seem to hate about the second game. So there's a big emphasis on stealth action, but also on choice uh, in how you uh, approach situations, how you resolve them, whether you want to be violent, nonviolent. Uh, and there are consequences for those different approaches as well. You can customize your character with uh, biological modifications or biotech modifications throughout the game, and that's interwoven with the plot as well. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with it, it's a uh, sort of near-future sci-fi kind of scenario uh, where uh, you have big biotech corporations that are pushing for uh, human modifications or improvements. So you have uh, sort of terrorist type groups that are for human purity versus the corporations. Uh, and your main character is a, uh, a security officer for one of the corporations and is heavily, heavily modified. Uh, so the way the progression through the game is explained is that while you're heavily modified, uh, you, your mind doesn't necessarily know how to take full advantage of that yet. You're almost like a newborn learning to use your different faculties. So uh, over the course of the game, uh, as you pick up certain upgrades, you can apply them and make decisions about what sorts of improvements you want to be able to make. Uh, and that affects how you play the game as well. So there's a, there's a lot of path. Um, based on the questions uh, that came up in the panel, uh, as people seem pretty impressed with it so far. There are very specific questions about certain elements. Uh, is there going to be the same sort of philosophical dialogue? There was a yes to that. So there's a lot of thought being put into the world and the story. Uh, what I saw the gameplay looked pretty good. Uh, I did see some uh, some elements uh, that you're used to seeing and sort of laughing and chuckling at in the stealth action games, like a guard who manages to get right next to you but not really quite figure out that you're there and then walk away. Um, there were sort of chuckles at the expense of that, but uh, th that came up and they addressed it and said that it will scale with difficulty as well. Uh, so the higher difficulty levels will be less forgiving in that regard. Um, I did see a pretty good cover system as well, which is a new element uh, for that uh, for that series that wasn't in the previous games. Uh, from what I saw, it was pretty smooth, uh, allowing you to kind of use cover intelligently uh, in the stealth portions of the game. Uh, the only thing I saw that stood out that that made me uh, kind of hesitate a bit is that I saw a sort of highlight or halo effect on all the interactive objects in the game. Uh, up to and including ladders that you can climb up and down. Personally, I really hope that that's a feature that can be turned off uh, or at least goes away with higher difficulty levels because it's, it's more distracting than anything else. If I see a ladder in a game and I can't climb it, I'm just going to get pissed off. You know, I don't need a, a halo or a highlight to show me that there's a ladder there. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, the graphics are clean, the, the gameplay was, uh, and the controls are pretty intuitive. Um, I'm looking forward to it, you know, as a fan uh, and the fact that they uh, are really trying to capitalize on what made the original great. Uh, I think it's going to be a hit. Okay, that sounds good. I was a little disappointed when it got pushed back, for sure. I was looking forward to it, but uh, I guess there's enough that will be able to keep me busy until it actually does come out, but I am looking forward to it. Right, so let's let's move on to Fancy Pants Adventures. Uh, I was really surprised when I saw the announcement that Fancy Pants Adventures had gotten picked up for release on Xbox Live. 
actually talking to the developer, he was like, so was I. <laughs> because, you know, it's just, it was just a Flash game. Uh, two Flash games, actually. And one's called World 1, one's called World 2. And the one thing I got, like, that really, that really got me about it was, it, you know, it's a hand-drawn game. Like, it looks hand-drawn, and you really don't think too much of the characters. Uh, with a character at first, or fancy pants. But, like, when you actually start moving... Like, the way his pants move and how smooth the gameplay is. And uh, it is, like, slightly physics-based. So, you know, you know, you need to gain momentum to 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 get certain areas. Like, you know, you'll have, like, a U-shaped, you know, you know pipe area, right? And, you, you know, you, you'll ju- use the U-shaped pipe area to jump up to one level. And then you make your way up to the next level. And then jump back down and have enough momentum to get up to an even higher level. You know, and being able to jump off of walls and, um, you know, you can, like, jump on an enemy, make it bounce, and then if you're good enough, you can hit the enemy again, bounce off of that, and get to higher places. And now they've even added multiplayer to the game. The, you know, uh, Fancy Pants for Xbox is going to have World 1, World 2, and it's going to have a multiplayer, uh, which was actually really fun to play. And uh, you can do things like bounce on the heads of uh, the other players that are that are playing, and it's just really smooth gameplay. Really, really interesting. Like one of the parts that I thought was really cool was like a, you know, which is water was added to the game. Like water has never been in the game before in swimming, so you know you just you know, you, you you could jump off this platform and then go into a diving motion and it dives right down into the water, and it's just the transition is very smooth in terms of the animation. It's very impressive, and I liked it a lot. And I'm looking forward, definitely looking forward to to it coming out. Either well, I know what well, neither of you guys got a chance to actually play that game, but I know Jason, you've played the the Flash game before, right? I played it like two or three years ago, and I have really fond memories of it. I know exactly what you're talking about, fluid pants and all that. But uh, I, I'm, again, just surprised as you and surprised the developer to know that it got picked up for an Xbox Live release. And I, I hope that really gives it the exposure it needs because it's actually a really fun little platforming game, and I think that not enough people know about it. Yeah, I think it's going to do well when it comes out. Um, but uh, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about Swarm. Did, did you guys play Swarm at all? Didn't have a chance, unfortunately. Me neither. Wow. Well, it was, it was a cool game. And really not too much to talk about. I mean, basically, you're a bunch of little... You're a swarm of these blue things. I didn't really get a background of story of what the blue things actually are, if you're trying to escape from a lab or what. But um, there's really... There's only a few functions. Like, you can either... You know, you run all together. You can either press a button that pulls everybody in. You can make them jump. And there's a button that pushes everybody out. And basically, you just really need to get from one end of the level to the other. And, of course, along the way, you have traps. You have spikes that pop up in the ground, explosives, things falling from the sky, um, pits, the ground crumbling from underneath you. And, you know, you need to get as many of these blue things to the actual, you know, exit. And that's your score. Uh, It was fun to play. Um, I liked it challenging, though. Very challenging. Like, you have to be very observant. Like, you know, you can't just focus on the center of the group. You can't always group everybody together because that will be a bad idea, especially if there's an explosive device around. Um, and then, like, you know, what was happening with me? Like, I'm running across some of these platforms, and then they just getting picked off one at a time. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, oh, my God, there's spikes on the ground. I'm losing so many of them. So. And as you go along, there's actually other groups that you get to pick up. So it was, it was pretty cool. 
you know, something to look out for. Um, let's move on, though, since you guys didn't really play it. Uh, Vampire Smiles, who, who played that? I played it for a bit, and I actually uh, uh, played it with my uh, non-gamer companion at the show, which kind of brought an inter- interesting perspective to it. Um, I think her exact words that it felt like a depressed high school kid's sketchbook. Um, which I'll go ahead and interpret that as just saying that it, it has a rather unique visual style. Well, that's um, very nice of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it felt to me a little bit like playing, uh, if you took the, uh, the 3D Ninja Gaiden games and, and put them in a 2D perspective. Um, it felt a little bit like that because there's a heavy dependence on, a com- on combos, um, different weapon selections for different forms of attacks, and you're flying all over the place, and there's hordes of enemies to pay attention to. Um, I don't know, not not really my kind of game, but I will say that um, you know the controls with all that going on were were pretty tight. Uh, the animation was smooth, uh, and it was a very uh, art- artistic uh, thing that it had going on there, almost like a highly stylized graphic novel. Um, so I can see how it could definitely be appealing. Hmm. Okay, yeah, I didn't get a chance to play it. I meant to play it, and I just totally forgot because I kind of stayed away from the Gunner booth, and that's what I was behind. So, yeah, I blame Gunner for that. Yeah, I'll say I kind of found it by accident. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Uh, Skulls of the Shogun. I know, Jason, you, I didn't get a chance to play it. I don't, I don't believe Rob played it either. So, uh, Jason, I know you liked it a lot. Played and loved it actually. Uh, how to explain it? So, turn-based strategy game for console. You basically uh, each army is composed of undead samurai warriors. It's a very cartoony look to, it, in fact, Rob. I think it might have been Rob Hill or it might have been uh, John, who was mentioning that the art style reminded a little bit of Castle Crashers, just in the general way they're shaped. We maneuver around the field and you take turns. But the cool thing is that the game actually is incredibly fast-paced. Because you only are limited to five orders you can give. So you can choose either to move a unit, you can have them attack, you can choose to bring in more units if you have enough currency, which in this game is rice that you gather from pot- patties. But each you basically have five of those per round. Each round only lasts for 30 seconds, and the clock is always ticking. It's almost like working with a stop clock. So a, that sort of game, which would definitely be like a lot of you sit at the screen, look at your options, is made much faster, much more enjoyable because you have to work in a very limited time frame. I had the joy of playing against one of the other convention goers. I didn't get his name, unfortunately, but the developer was talking to me while we played, and I just don't have enough good, nice things to say about that game. It looks fantastic. It, it's just an absolute blast, just how chaotic it gets over time, and I'm just surprised that it hasn't gotten picked up by a publisher yet. I know the developer's currently in talks to get someone to get it published this year, and the game is mostly seems to be at least features complete. It just looks like a great time. I believe it supports up to four players as well. So kind of like we sort of lose Slamble stack Scrappers, it's one of those games that is really great for friends, except this is more strategy-based, but simply just as chaotic, just as fast-paced, just as frantic. Oh, okay. Well, do you know when it's going to be released? I believe they're in for summer right now, but I know they haven't, formed, they haven't officially picked up a publisher yet. There are a lot of, there are a lot of developers that, when I talked to them, they said, yeah, around summertime. Like, yeah. this is going to be a good year for arcade games. It may be one of the best years for arcade games yet. I mean, we're talking a lot of good releases between spring and the end of summer. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about Firefall. 
Uh, everybody here got a chance to play that, right? Yes. Yes. All right, so go on. Uh, Jason, you go first. Thoughts? Another free-to-play game. That seems to be another thing about this show, aside from like a big like bounty of really good independent developer games out there in the summertime, or at least aiming for summertime. Just a lot of free-to-play titles at PAX East this year. I liked it. Um, I know some people in this group had other reservations about Some people liked some people kind of on the fence. I enjoyed what I played of it. Uh, for those not in the know, Fireball, Fire, geez, Fireball, Firefall is a free-to-play uh, sort of team-based combat game along the same lines as Team Fortress or Monday Night Combat where you choose one of three classes. It's round-based, but it has a lot of cool stuff to it. Uh, one thing I noticed is that there's a big day-night cycle. So if you're the map long enough, the, the map will slowly shift from day to dusk to night to dawn and back and forth and things like that. You know, generally class-based stuff doesn't do a lot that's totally out of the ordinary, but it plays rather competently and it's pretty fun for a free-to-play game. And what about you, Rob? What do you think? I like the action. Um, I didn't think there was anything particularly groundbreaking, but it was it was smooth. It was tight. It moved well. Uh, you had um, you know a couple specialized abilities, specialized weapons for the different classes to uh, kind of make it worthwhile. Um, I liked that the, the mechanic where you had to get in and finish off your enemies. Um, that kind of brought an interesting uh, bit of depth to it, where there's a chance that your medic could get in and 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 bring them back, and you know, so that it kind of had that element from something like the the Battlefield series. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the the visual, uh, the aesthetic side of the game. Uh, it had sort of a cell shaded feel, and the the character models had this real chunky armor thing going on that reminds me of like the crappy Saturday afternoon cartoons that they have these days that are nothing like the cool stuff that we had when we were kids, the kind of stuff I would skip right past. Um, that, that's the kind of the impression that I got. Uh, but other than that, um, I, I think it's solid, especially for, for a free-to-play model. I actually I enjoyed it a lot. I, I actually, I, I liked the way it looked. Um, the, I guess the chunky the chunky, uh, you know, suit thing that you're talking about, that's more of a, a futuristic space marine type look, which, you know, it, it is played a lot, but I didn't mind it in this case. Uh, the one thing I, I, I thought could have been in, could have been better was the actual movement of the character models. Like, it wasn't really that fluid, uh, but I guess in the, in the long run, it, it really doesn't make a difference, but yeah, their, their actual movement wasn't that fluid, but um, yeah, the game itself was great. It was a, uh, it is definitely team based. Definitely team based. I mean, if you, I actually got a chance to play during the devs versus fans game that they had, and the devs wiped the floor with us because they were very organized. They were talking to each other. And it was kind of unfair, but still, um, I do want a rematch when the game comes out and I actually play it for a little bit. Uh, I did notice there, there are both, there are, uh, you know, first, there are shooter elements, of course, um, which it is actually a skill-based game, like, you do need to know how to aim and shoot and deal with your opponents based off of what they're doing, like, you know, you can't just spam a weapon and when you're, you, by the way, you're, you're, you have a jetpack on, so you can, you can fly for or hover for a certain amount of time, um, you know, if somebody's in the air, you can't shoot the the standard assault weapon which surprisingly in this case was not an assault rifle um <laughs> you know it was actually the the default weapon uh it was like a pulse rifle so it shoots out a pulse which actually has an aoe damage effect 
You can't shoot that in the air and expect to do some damage. So you have to kind of switch over to your scatter shot or go to your secondary weapon to address somebody that's in the air. Um, so you know uh, the, the, that was cool, but also it has some some RPG elements where you know you use your one, two, and three buttons to do specific moves. Like you know you could jump up in the air, come down, do like the, the crashing thing and stuff like that. And I I, I, def- I definitely enjoyed the game. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, it's going to be, it's a micro, it's going to be a microtransaction game where it's free to play, but if you want to get the stuff, you know, you pay 99 cents, $2, you know, stuff like that to play. But hey, you don't have to spend any money at all. You just won't be any, you just won't be one of the cool kids. So, well, I guess we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely enjoyed that game and uh, looking forward to it. That game, I believe, is coming out sometime in December. Uh, moving on, let's talk about Smuggle Truck and how awesome that game is. Rob, I know you played it. What'd you think? I did. I, I spent some time over in the Indie Showcase there. Um, I, I thought it was really good. Uh, I, I like, uh, especially iOS games and handheld games that are, uh, you know, I think the biggest hits there are the ones that have sort of simple controls that take advantage of the capabilities of the platform well. Um, and I think this game did it brilliantly. Uh, you really only had uh, speed up and slow down, you know, which you could accomplish with a thumb on either side of the screen. So it was also a touchscreen game that doesn't require you to uh, take up a lot of the screen real estate uh, with your fingers, which I appreciate. Um, and it also used the accelerometer in their device to kind of manage the uh, uh, the tilt of your truck as it's flying through the air. And that's really, from a control perspective, all that there was to it. But um, it was just just good fun, uh, you know. Your the premise is that you're a uh, uh, driving a truck sneaking uh, illegal immigrants across a border, uh, so you need to uh, navigate the terrain, keep the truck level, keep the people from flying out, and for added fun, occasionally one of them gives birth to a baby, uh, which goes flying through the air, and you need to try and catch it uh, to score more points and uh, deliver it safely to the border. Uh, and there is actually a redeeming social value to this. I, you know, I can hear you snickering there, but uh, you, uh, uh, the, I spoke to the developer, and they actually uh, are purposely trying to use humor to uh, bring attention to uh, immigration issues. Uh, that, that is their outspokenly stated purpose to this. Uh, the game is built on the Unity engine as well, uh, so, and they plan to take full advantage of that and uh, roll it out to as many platforms as possible. So uh, right now it's on the iOS devices. It's going to be on PC, Mac, uh, and Android as well. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked it. Yeah, I I had a good time playing it, and the first time the baby popped out, I was like, that is not just a baby that popped out, and I now I need to catch it with my truck. And when you miss it, and you run it over, and you try not to laugh, but you, you can't help it. It's so wrong, but it's so fun. Yes, definitely. Uh, I'm actually, I don't have a, actually, I think they are going to come out with an Android version eventually, but uh, right now they're focusing on iOS. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun game, so looking forward to that. I know it was on Fox News. <laughs> they they got in some trouble on Fox News for the game, but you know how you know, Fox News is. Blah blah immigration, blah blah rape doctor, all that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so they didn't uh, warn us about Bullstorm. That's good. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but uh, let's move on to Section Eight Prejudice, uh, which Rob, I know you find that title funny. 
I, I, I do, and I, I'm, I'm not going to explain it, but it's, it just sounds kind of wrong. But I, and it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, the wrongness of it, as far as I can tell, has absolutely nothing to do with the game. So I don't know uh, what PR person put their stamp of approval on that, but I'm just going to keep chuckling about it. Yeah, I, we really don't need to go into it, but if you hear the title and you know why we're laughing at it, you'll already be laughing at it. So it'll be an inside joke between us. <laughs> but um, Section 8 Prejudice, uh, if anybody played the original Section 8, you know it was really riddled with a bunch of problems on release. Um, uh, dropping from servers, lag, and it was just not a, not a good experience. Um, this one, first of all, the game is going from being a full retail game to a downloadable game on Xbox Live. And from what I can tell, from what I can see, they haven't taken anything out of it. It hasn't been cheapened. It's like you still kind of get that same value um, that you had before. And, um, you know, it's now it's only going to be 15 maybe 20 bucks. Uh, but I, uh, when I was playing the multiplayer, I actually did enjoy myself. I do plan on picking up the game. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. So, you know, I just thought, you know, now that the bugs are probably going to be gone, like, I didn't run into any bugs while I was playing at all. Now that the bugs are gone, um, I think everything is, I think it's going to be actually a pretty good game, you know. Still got to, you know, you still fly down from the sky, and you got to watch out for the AA turrets. Uh, oh, I said turrets. Turrets. <laughs> so, you know, it's to watch out for the AA turrets as you're coming down. Um, you know, the loadouts are different. Like, you know, you can pick a pre, you know, a, a pre-setup loadout. And, you, or you can just pick, you know, do a custom loadout if you want to, depending on your play style. And, you know, there's uh, two modes. Uh, there's a conquest, and I can't remember the other one because we actually didn't play it. But the conquest mode uh, is what they think will be the most popular. So that's what they were showing it. Uh, and it was, you know, it's, it's your average conquest, you know, take all the points and henceforth win. But it was just, uh, it was really cool. And I'm looking to see, looking forward to seeing the full product. What about you, Jason? Uh, I, my initial impressions of Section 8, the original one were, I, I was one of those day one guys that didn't buy the game, but I picked it up, uh, for console. I rented it from a local game store and, uh, <sighs> say what to say about Section 8. It's not a bad game. It's a it's a competently made game. It's a bit tribes light, if you know where I'm coming from with that. And there's definitely parts I like. I think it was very wise of them to go to a fifteen dollar game because the big problem of Section Eight isn't really the game itself. It's the trappings. That game has very little personality. I mean, aside from the whole like skydiving, flying through the air, potentially landing on a guy and killing him, which you can still do, which makes me very very happy. There's just not a lot in that game that really can hold your interest. It was competently done. The game modes were fun to play as. What I played in Prejudice was definitely more of the same. Not really a bad way, but a little bit, I guess I would say, uninspired. But if they got in the time to work out the kings with the first one, and they've taken all the criticisms they have with the original game, you know, in stride and figure out what to do with that. I mean, releasing a downloadable game might not be a bad idea. But there are a ton of downloadable games right now in the marketplace. I mean, look at Blacklight Tango Down, Breach. Monday Night Combat. I understand that you know there's a game for everybody, but I'm just worried that if they're releasing this into a market that's a little bit oversaturated at this point. Oh, I do think there are definitely a decent amount of shooters out there on the Xbox, on the on the marketplace. However, uh, first of all, Blacklight Tangled Down. Let's not even talk about that game. That game never happened. 
Okay. okay. <laughs> but like Tango Down never happened. I bought um, it. Yeah. Well, sh- 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 never happened. That's okay. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But um, okay. Monday Night Combat. Uh, it's fifty fifty. Like you like it. I did not like it at all. Yeah. Uh, what else uh, did you mention besides Monday Night Combat? Breach. Breach was released on Xbox and PC. This whole thing is deformable terrain. Yeah. I mean, I thought Breach was cool but it wasn't cool enough for me to buy you know right. not that you know i'm the coolest cat on the block but i'm just saying like i didn't when i played it at pax last year i didn't really i thought i was like oh okay you know um there's really no games on the marketplace in terms of first person shooters that are that standout games so every game that comes out on the marketplace has that chance to be that that standout xbla shooter game and i actually do think that section 8 has a good chance to actually do that because it's definitely put be- it's it's definitely better than black light tangle down um i think in my opinion it's uh it's it's more fun to play than uh than both breach and monday night combat and uh you know it just the the the, the features that not say the features but the you know the weapons you have access to how you actually control things um, the fact that, you know, it's the only game that literally lets you spawn anywhere. Well, uh, technically speaking, you spawn in the same place every time. However, when you get to the ground, like, you can literally go anywhere. You can you can either spawn on a teammate, which may not be the best thing to do because when you, you know, you pick their point and you spawn down, by the time you get to the ground, they actually might be dead. Um, then, you know, if you don't want to do that, you can take the red you know you can choose literally anywhere in the map to fall down you know i actually jumped out one time and wind up going like into a cave by accident and having to get myself out of that so it's pretty funny but i think i think section eight prejudice will i think i think i think it'll definitely uh as long as they market it right and you know people know that's out i think it's gonna do well but you know only time will tell we have to see right yeah, for me, it's a case of one's bitten, twice shy. I mean, I did was basically a first-day adopter for Section 8. So, again, we'll see how the community takes it. We'll see how the game releases. If it's stable, as opposed to the last time, then, yeah, we could have a good title on our hands. But, you know, as you say, wait and see. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, I, I know a game that you guys did not get a chance to play uh, was Insanely Twisted Shadow Planet. You really should have played it. <laughs> it is a it is a nice nice game. Um and Sandy's Twisted Shadow Planet is uh basically you get a little story like at the beginning of a demo. You know, you you're you're this this being. I'm not even going to call you an alien because if that's your planet then therefore you're not an alien. Um you know, you're this you're this life form and uh you got a little uh little science vessel. And, um, you know, you look through your telescope or show up on radar or something like that. But basically there's this black, um, black object moving towards the sun, your sun. And it hits the sun, and now the sun becomes this dark planet. Okay? Um, you go to the planet, and uh, I don't know what you're trying to do on the planet yet. But I'm assuming it's you're trying to get the black stuff out. Uh, so that, the, you know, the sun can actually shine again. Um, but the game itself, first of all, the music really caught my attention. The music is very well done uh, in the cutscenes. Then there was a couple other things like the controls. Oh, no, let me talk about the HUD first. 
the HUD is extremely miserable. Uh, I was gonna say miserable. <laughs> is minimal. Sorry, the HUD <laughs> is extremely, extremely minimal, and um, you really only know how much help you have by how your ship looks. You know, if your ship gets beat up and it looks really beat up, you know, you know that you're low on health. Um, also, to get health, they they grow on these. I guess these. Uh, not they're not flowers, but on these little uh, you know tentacles or whatever, and then they grow on them, and you can kind of just pick them up. Uh, the ship itself, you have a scanner, so you can scan various objects, and this is how you learn how to do things in the game. Like you can't, you don't just roll up to a to an object and it tells you what it is. Like if it's like glowing or you know, it looks a little different, you, know, you scan it, and then it'll kind of, like, once you scan it, your ship knows what that is, and it'll kind of translate for you, so you know, oh, this means health, and this means this, and this means that. You also have an arm, uh, which comes out of the ship, and, you know, you can pick things up, throw them. The game has is, has a lot of physics, has a lot of physics, so throwing rocks and things like that, uh, it's, you know, it, it it's it's pretty cool. Uh, also, you interact with a lot of stuff, like, you know, you interact with tree branches, like, you know, you run to a tree branch, or, you know, whatever it is, and, you know, it kind of bends, and you can't get by, so, you know, th that part was cool. You also have a weapon that gets upgraded over time to help you destroy stuff, but the gameplay itself was nice, because it's not, it's a, tw it's a twin stick shooter, but it's not all about shooting, okay? Uh, it's, a lot of it is about exploration. Uh, and getting to where you need to go. Like, you know, I went through several parts where I didn't even have to shoot anything. I was just trying to get to my objective and figuring out how to get my, to my objective because they don't give you too many hints. And I just thought it was really cool. It was, the animation, like, it literally looks like you're playing a cartoon. Like, no joke. Not close to it. It looks like you are playing a animated feature. I just thought it was a really excellent game, and I am now I am really excited for it to come out. And that's all I have to say about that. Oh, no. I did want to tell a story about the guy who was playing before me. Um, the game's not difficult to play. But this guy sucked at the game. And I don't understand how you sucked at this game, especially the demo. It took me five minutes to get through the entire demo, okay? So when I get there, he's already playing. I talk to uh, one of the exhibitors there for about five minutes about the game. And then I get behind him, and I have to wait 10 minutes for him to finish the game. And I'm watching him play this one part, and I'm just like, dude, like, why are you sucking so hard? Why is it, it taking you so long to finish this game? Like, dodge the black stuff. It's killing you. You know, like, I just don't understand. It kind of it kind of irked me that he wasn't as awesome as I was. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what to say. Yeah. <laughs> That's really the moral of the story. We're just waiting for you to say it. Yeah, yeah, you know, I was like, come on, guy. Come on, I'm man. sorry that everybody lives up to the personal gold standard that is Jarrett. I mean, I just, I just don't, like, when, I don't know, when a game's really easy to me, I don't understand why it's difficult for somebody else. Everybody's like that, though. I, I really don't, like, I'm like, don't you get it? Dodge the black stuff. Or you can shoot it. Just don't touch it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't, I don't get it. Like, why do you suck at this? You know, like, for example, like, if somebody's not good at StarCraft, I can understand that. Somebody's not good at Unreal Tournament, I can understand that. If somebody's not good at Call of Duty, I can understand that. But this game was so simple in terms of the combat and the concept. Like, dude, stop running into the black stuff. Boom. Solve the problem. I don't know. We're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're gonna continue, though. Let's talk about, um... 
Let's talk about Tap City, which I thought was interesting and I really think can go somewhere. Uh, Tap City is an iPhone game that uses Google Maps, basically in, in your current location. It is it is Foursquare, but better because it actually does stuff. Like, you know, you play Foursquare, it's like, oh, I'm going to check in here. Oh, I'm now, now I'm the king of this place. I've checked in it the most, you know. In this game, you know, you, you check into where you are, and actually you don't even have to check into specific stuff. Like You can look at buildings around the area and get specific buildings, that anything that shows up on Google Maps, okay? And you can put weapons and defenses on it from when people try to take it from you. So it's like, I guess it's kind of like a, or an RPG or a strategy game uh, to, in that retrospect, but that's actually fun, like, that, that would actually make it fun, right now it's iPhone only, but I think they're, uh, the team is working on the Android version, and I, I was, I'm interested, I do a Rob or Jason, did you see, either you see that? I was actually behind you at the, uh, at the booth when you were looking at it, it looks pretty cool, but, you know, the minute I heard, you know, well, it's only for iPhone, I'm like, oh, I guess I have my droid, can't really try it out, uh, but, but I mean, you know, if they uh, if they pour it to, to Droid, I'll definitely give it a shot. I'm not huge on the whole social networking, augmented reality games where it's like things like Foursquare. I've only gotten the Foursquare app like last week, and I've had a Droid since February of last year. So uh, clearly, I'm not the crowd for it. But it definitely seems like a cool little twist on the idea. I did Foursquare for about a week and then uninstalled it. I'm like, this is pointless, you know. But to all my other friends that use it, now I know when you're not home. Excellent. What are you trying to say there, Jared? That's, Nothing. That's creepy, man. That's, that's creepy. Hey, well, don't use Foursquare and you'll be okay. I don't. Oh, there, you, there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, Tap City was pretty cool. Uh, not not too much there, but it was still pretty cool and worth a mention. Uh, I did get to go to the Rage live demo. And I like it. I was very impressed. Um, one thing that impressed me was, like, first of all, how good it looks and the fact that it was 60 frames per second. Consistent, non-dropping. I, I could have swore that he was playing it on a PC. But when I looked at his hand, he's holding a 360 controller. I'm like, well, maybe he has it hooked up to a PC. No, he has it hooked up to an Xbox 360. And I was like, wow, that is impressive. The game looks great. But uh, and not not just graphically the game looks great, but the 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 scenery and everything just looks incredible. And usually I hate desert games where you're out in the desert and stuff like that because it looks so bland. But this one didn't. It actually looked interesting. The characters looked interesting. And basically, and the scenery changes based off where you go. I mean, you're still in like a post-apocalyptic world, but things do still look different. And based on where you go, like, you can go to these different gang hideouts, and, you know, they'll look different, and they'll speak different, and, you know, stuff like that. It's really cool. Really impressive, and this is something that the developer didn't even touch on, is the AI of the game, okay? Um, well, I guess, and, and with that, you kind of have to talk about the level design, because basically it has, it's really impressive how they actually use the levels to their advantage to try to cut you off or put you in corners or just disadvantage you. Also, they won't charge at you like some games we're going to talk about in a little bit. But, um, you know, like uh, he was playing and one of the enemies popped out of cover and he's running to a different cover spot. And he shoots, he misses, you know, didn't touch the enemy, he misses the enemy. 
and the 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 the, 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 the um the AI knew that he was shooting at him, and immediately goes back to his other cover, you know, to try to you know try to take him out before he actually proceeds over. So there's no quick easy kills, and it was just I was very impressed by that, um, along with the level design. Uh, the weapon selection is nice, and switching between weapons is cool. Some weapons have multiple ammo types. It, it just looks like it's going to be a really good game when it comes out. So I am very happy that, that id is, you know, they, I think this is going to be another hit on their hands. It's going to be very nice. Um, there was, there's, there's one more game that I did want to talk about before we talk about Duke Nukem. And this one called Fall, it's called Fallen Frontier. Which I'm not, Rob. I'm not sure if you played it, but Jason, you played it, right? I actually didn't get a chance. Uh, I saw it. It was in between everything else I was working with. I watched it in action. Just didn't get a chance to actually, you know, touch the controller and give it a shot. But everybody I, t- I spoke to that played it seems to had nothing but good things to say about it. Yeah, like I actually, I, I thought you played it, but uh, it's a really cool game. It's a 2D shooter, uh, and it's a, it's very it's like it has really nice artwork. It's a it's a very it's like a dark noir. Uh, 2D shooter. The story is like you're a detective and you're, you're, um, you know, uh, investigating a series of murders, and one particular murder is a very of importance to you. Uh, but it's a 2D shooter, and uh, it is multiplayer, seamless multiplayer, like drop in, drop out. You know, if somebody comes in, uh, the split screen was very nice. Like you know, when you and it's not the first time it's it's happened or it's been made in that way. But you know, when you walk far apart enough from each other, it'll split the screen automatically, and then come together again. I mean, you're close enough to each other. Uh, the thing that I guess I liked the most about it was the grapple. Like, uh, you know, you do have a certain amount of weapons, which and it, it, it with uh one of the weapons well not one of the weapons but a few of the weapons actually have recoil on them which is something that you don't really see in a 2D shooter too much like you usually you just kind of hold the trigger down and go for it but in this one you actually do have to still aim and be careful you know when you're using guns like you know in this case it was the shotgun that had the that had the recoil but the grapple uh, you know, you can use it to grapple onto walls and ceilings and swing across stuff, but you can also use it to grapple onto enemies and pull yourself to them or pull them to you. So, like, you know, I'm grappling onto the enemy, pulling them to me, and then, boom, using the shotgun to blow them away. And I'm like, yeah, you know, manly. But, you know, it was, I was, it, was a, it was a really good time. It was a really good game to play. Uh, I liked it a lot, and I'm really looking forward to it. I know right now they're looking for a publisher. Somebody really needs to pick these guys up. So, so they can get this game out so I can play it as a personal favor. I'd appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, now let's, let's talk about last and least Duke Nukem forever. Save the greatest for the last. You have to. Uh, the greatest failure, if that's what you mean. <laughs> because... Well, greatest can be in quotation marks. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Rob, you did not play Duke Nukem, correct? I did not, and I'll tell you why. Because after my impression of the booth, and then when you guys got a chance to play it first, I didn't even really need you to talk about it. I just saw your face fall when I asked about <laughs> Duke Nukem Forever, and I, I realized that was, I was good. I did not need to experience it firsthand. Man, uh, no, Duke Nukem is definitely not forever. <laughs> it is not forever. Um, first of all, the the game feels so dated. I will say one good thing about it, and this is probably going to be it. It is very funny. 
Well, I should say it's very funny, but it is funny. When Duke talks, it's funny. Um, but other than that, the game feels so dated. First of all, it doesn't even look good. And this was on, okay, granted, this was on the 360 that the demo was on, but it, it doesn't look good. Um, the foliage looks, everything looks like straw. It doesn't move. The pigs, uh, the hogs look like plastic. And yeah, the 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 the, the world, well, the level that we played looks like, looked like a big dust ball, you know. It's, it just doesn't look like a in terms of graphically, it does not look good. And then the actual gameplay was just like so boring. Like, you know, the enemies charge at you, or you know, they don't they don't engage you to take advantage of you like you know i'm shooting at him and i run out of ammo so i duck behind you know i move back behind a rock and uh you know i go to reload and there's like a uh there's a hog like pretty pretty close to it and he didn't move he just stayed in the spot and continued to fire his guns when i was not even in sight you know um yeah i play i use the rifle like sniper rifle you know you get a headshot the head like expands and then blows up and I'm like, okay, that's one thing, but it really loses its effect after the second time you do it. And it kind of gets in the way, because as the heads are expanding, you really can't see the enemy that's behind them. Uh, the weapon selection that they displayed was... I, I was yawning at it, you know? Uh, you have, like, a little fight versus a flying ship, and that was, like, really... Uh, pop out, shoot missile, come back in. Pop out, shoot missile, come back in. Like, you didn't really like the game. The, the demo that they showed was very boring. And once again, you know, people always say, "Well, that's just a demo." Yeah, the demo is supposed to make you want to play the game, and it gave me a, it was a very bad impression of of the game itself. You know, even like you know, you played the part where you you know you get to fight the monster in the football field, and it's just meh. You know, even though I did see somebody having trouble with that part, which is, once again, it's like, why? Like, you grab the missiles, you shoot them in the face, you move left to right, dude. Why are you here? But, I digress. Um, it's just, overall, the game, you're right, every time I talk to talk to somebody about it, it's like, oh my god, Duke Nukem. You know, even when we were standing in line for that panel, I told those guys, like, don't even bother. <laughs> don't even bother going to play that game. It was definitely worst of show at PAX East 2011. Um, what I really hope is that it doesn't sh shine negatively on Gearbox because Gearbox, they openly admit that, you know, we picked up the game and we just finished it. We did, they did not change much in the game. So the game, the parts of the game were already built. That, that was there. I remember this game, how, like, how long has this game been in development? <laughs> you know? So... It feel it really needed to be updated, and it was not. But you know, that's my rant for this one. Jason, you go ahead. Uh, I didn't get a chance to play it myself, but I did have the joy of being across the way and uh, looking around and playing Gears Three at the time. And I looked over and I saw Rob Hill Williams playing it, and he walked up with this very sort of stoic look on his face. He he looked kind of tired, and he picked the controller. And I get to playing Gears, and I had a good time with that. I kept looking back, and his face did not change at all. He was just completely transfixed and just so he he looked completely void of any emotion. It was like watching a robot. And when he walked over, I asked him how it was later on. He just like looked at me and shook his head. Uh, 
I didn't talk to a single person that convention that thought anything good of Duke Nukem Forever. I, I don't think I heard anything good at all whatsoever. I mean, one thing it has against going against it is the expectations. I've been developing for over a decade, but it, it, it I mean, at, least, at least as far as like what you described as being, you just described Duke Nukem 3D. You just described what that game was ten years ago. Yeah, it, it, very dated, and there's no way that game is gonna sell for sixty bucks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it needs to on release day. It needs to be on Steam sale. <laughs> That's how I feel about that game. If it's gonna be worth anything at all, like it was just very like. And the thing, I didn't even go in with high expectations, but it doesn't meet expectations at all. It's 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 too late. Duke Nukem is dead. He's dead. Let him die. But, uh, yeah, that's... I think that's all the games that we want, that we really thought we, we should mention, uh, regard, you know, from PAX East. Uh, most of them good, but Duke Nukem was so bad that we had to talk about it. <laughs> um, uh, so, best of show. What were, You guys, what, uh, let's, I'll start with Jason first. What was your best of show? You only could choose one. I only could choose one, well, judging from my near psychotic rant earlier which didn't seem to end for a little bit i do apologize for all podcast goers for that but uh skullgirls i was just i knew nothing of it walked up walked away completely satisfied came back the next day walked away completely anticipating in every aspect just i cannot wait until you know they get that game out they said late summer i believe if i'm not mistaken they only had two characters out of it looks like a roster of about eight on their website playable but that game just took me completely by surprise and I really want to see more of it. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with that. It's definitely an awesome game. How about you, Rob? Well, I think if I uh, restricted to the things I got to actually get my hands on on the floor, I'm going to go with Bastion. Uh, I just think it's a really neat, quirky little concept. Uh, I, I love the narration. Like I said, uh, I, I really can't wait to have more of that in my life. So, yeah, looking forward to that one most. Yeah, Bastion was actually my second pick. My first pick, though, was Outland. Definitely Outland. That game, well, you guys didn't play it, but you saw how it looked. Like, it looks awesome. It plays awesome. I literally cannot wait for that game to come out. And I think it's in the spring, so I won't have to wait too long. Uh, but, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, good picks because Skullgirls was awesome. Uh, Bastion, definitely awesome. Uh, and Outland, definitely awesome uh so we've already said we enjoyed the show this year um you know 70 that well almost seventy thousand people uh you know that's it's a it's a lot of people uh so i'm I'm imagining they also enjoyed the show too i haven't heard a single bad thing about it besides you know besides popo getting on people's nerves (laughs) but uh what do you uh what you guys think we should expect for next year I'll, i'll go first sorry uh the one thing I would like to see more next year, actually, and I think you guys probably feel the same way. It, while there are definitely a lot of independent developers you know, showing off their game, and I was even accosted a few times by people wanting me to personally look at their titles, to do like one-man teams. Um, it's, I didn't like the fact that it seemed as though those developers were shoehorned into the corners. I mean, like I said, I missed a lot of the small indie stuff because I didn't see it. And it seemed like the main the main floor was oversaturated with you know bigger companies like Ubisoft and Microsoft, 
and you know Microsoft has XBLA section there, but a lot of the small guys are kind of just you know like they said on the uh, maps put into quote unquote the independent developers alley. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I'd love to see them uh, expand the the exhibition uh, footprint. Uh, and get those guys uh, out of that uh, little cul-de-sac there. Um, I don't even know if I like the idea of, uh, you know, a, 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 an isolated or, or separate indie section. I, I think uh, just more space and just just let them be out there and let them be right next to the, you know, the big booths and let let people see them. You know, uh, I don't think people are going out of their way to see the indie games, but uh, I think the indie games could. Uh, do with more exposure by being out there and letting people see them and how good they can be. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think I do think indie alley should disappear and the indies should be mixed in with everything else. Um, actually, they they should. I think they would would be doing a big favor of like you know next to a a Child of Eden or Outland or something like that. Um, that they actually have one of the smaller indie games. You know. Like it's they don't those indie game spaces don't take up much space, so why not? But uh, I do think indie hours should disappear, and the indies should be in with everybody else. Um, I also think that they should expand the exhibition hall. I think they will. I think more more larger publishers and developers will kind of you know will want some space, so. They'll probably take those first two sections, like, you know, how they had the section with the tabletops. They'll probably turn that out into, I'm expecting from them to turn that into exhibition space. Um, they, they can move all that tabletop stuff to the downstairs cafeteria because there was more, I never went down there and it was crowded, ever. Most people ate in the regu- in the upstairs food court anyway, which, you know, $9 cheeseburgers, but hey, it's a cheeseburger that you couldn't get downstairs, so... Um, yeah, I, uh, I those are the two things I'm really expecting. I'm expecting even more people next year, you know. So that I think, in terms of the panels and stuff like that, and moving around and moving about the halls, that may be a problem, you know, as you know it progresses. But I think the exhibition hall necessarily won't suffer, but it's the the other corridors where you know space is a little bit more limited. Uh, I think I think we're gonna we're gonna see uh, it be a, a bit tighter there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's it. That's, that's all we got. Um, yeah, it was a little longer than we expected, but, but, you know, we talked about so much. It was a big show. It was a lot to talk about. So, uh, yeah, if you missed it this year, you should definitely try to, try to, uh, you know, catch it next year. Next year is going to be April 6th through 8th. So, you know, just, you know, get some, you know, get your time off or if, if you're not working, there's really no reason for you not to be there. You know, get some money and, and go. Ask your mom. Ask your dad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we're going to wrap it up here. And once again, oh, actually, that's another thing I wanted to see more of. More hot engineer. Don't wear the outfit if you really can't fit it, though. I'd appreciate that because I don't want that image being ruined for me. I think everybody can agree on that, right? Oh, no? Okay, never mind. Jesus, sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I agree with 100%. I agree with 100%. <laughs> Jason's like, nah, I want to see some fat engineer. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely say less man chunly. Man- less, l- less manly. Less, less. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, more hot engineer. And if you listen to this, call me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stop being creepy now. We're going to go ahead and get out of here. Thanks for taking a listen. And uh, we will catch you next time. <laughs>